There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Um, first thing I want to talk about, I want to revisit something we were talking about earlier, earlier today. Danny, I didn't know that when... When you, uh... I knew you shot a mule deer out of a tree with your recurve. Yeah. I didn't know that you weren't in a tree stand. You literally climbed up and shot it off the branch of a tree. (laughs) No, like you're not into the whole safety harness scene and all that. You're just like sitting up in the limb of a tree with a recurve. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) mostly out of necessity, but that's that's so old school, man. Well, it was a cottonwood, you know, it had these giant horizontal branches and I mean, it felt I had I was kind of surrounded by branches and real tucked in there and it wasn't I, didn't, I never felt like I was going to fall out of it. So, but how'd you like? Nobody s- ever does. But how- <laughs> 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 yeah, I think it catches people by surprise falling out of trees. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how did you like pull back and swing the bow and everything up there? Just standing on a branch. Yeah, standing on a big big. I've done a lot of that actually. Uh, that was my mo <laughs> hunting down south for a long time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just make it work. How can yeah. you keep your balance and and be in full draw, especially with a recurve? But it's like it's a, it, it's just, it was this cotton with the come. I mean, well, dirt probably knows the tree, but yeah, in the field there. Yeah, where all this mule deer hang out in your dad's place, but um, yeah, it's a big fat cotton one. It has like a couple branches that swing out horizontally and then go up, and it's just like this kind of natural 
tree stand. It's she prob- shimmied up in yeah. there, settled I, in, I, and I, shot I, a buck with your recurve. I screwed in a few steps to get up there, you know, but yeah, shimmied up in there. And- Didn't you tie a little piece of paracord around oh, it? I might have. I think I had a string to pull my bow up. But you and- weren't up there with one of those NASCAR harnesses. No. 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 A five-point harness. That's all. Um, uh, Buck Bowden, can you first off, do you mind first off telling about uh, how you how you got the name Buck? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you were born Mike Bowden. Yes, I was born Mike Bowden you as a young child. Buck yeah. Bowden of I've, Hidden Alaska Outfitters. Yeah, that was my first winter in Nome. Um, at, at school there, it was... Right when locking buck knives had first come out, so so there I am, <laughs> the new kid in town in high school, and I'm taking this buck knife that I just just been given, and and who gave was, you the buck knife? Um, I think it was my uncle. You know, the guy I lived with. He was trying to, uh, you know, get me to be, uh, um, you know, an Alaskan native kind of a thing. You know, so so uh, you- first knife you have, uh, first thing, uh, you know, a young boy need, needs a knife. So oh. So he gets me this locking buck knife, and I'm at school, and I'm flipping it around and catching it by, by the blade. So um, I catch it by the blade, but then uh, so then I slice my thumb open, had to go to the hospital. They had to sew the tendon back, back together. And then there I am at school the next day. With well, hold my, back up, because the, I, I heard the story originally, uh, just because people can't see when you hold up your thumb. Mm-hmm. I heard this story originally because I was watching you working with your chainsaw and i asked you if you were double jointed because i couldn't figure out why your thumbs were cocked off at such wild angles yep yep hold your hand up for a minute it's so weird it's so cocked off at a wild angle i feel like people almost could see it through the right it it was in the air and and ever since then so so they they sold the the tendon yes so so there i am at school the next day my thumb all in a bandage. It, uh, they had just sewn the tendon together. And so me and all of my infinite wisdom, there I am at school the next day doing it with my other hand. Okay. So, and the same <laughs> thing happened there. So there I am with, with uh, you know, I still have the scars here to show it. But um, so there I am at school now with both of my thumbs bandaged up. And ever since then, uh, they gave me the name Buck, and it stuck. It was just kind of like the big joke in school, and then it just so, followed me on. But, even even on my, but there's there's like it, it, oh, there's so many questions it brings up. No, yeah. so what what hand did you do it to first? Uh, I think it was my left hand because I'm left handed, so I was catching it with my left hand. And the next day, you got the bandage on that hand, and you're like, I'm going to master that same trick with my other <laughs> right. hand, exactly, and, and cut it the same way. Yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, trying to catch, catch a blade, blade the same way. And of course, me being left handed, now I'm trying to do it with my right hand. I'm not near as coordinated, you know, with my right hand. Of course, what did the doctor say? Uh, he uh, <laughs> he actually said that I had the brains of a cabbage. He thought so. I so remember then, that. They bandage that hand up, yeah, and, and when it comes out, you wind up with two what look to be double-jointed thumbs. Do you have yeah, full range yeah, of motion at, at, at with the them? End, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't bend them forward, but they automatically spring back to the 90-degree <laughs> position. I used, to, yeah. I used to work for a, a place called Professional Tree Service, you know, climbing trees and doing arborist work. And he had... Uh, he cut off his middle finger. I, I assumed it was from a chainsaw, but he cut it off on a log splitter. 
Oh, really? Yeah, but when he was holding the when he's holding his chainsaw, like he's always giving you the middle finger because <laughs> the glove, you know, his leather glove would always be sticking out, man. Oh, Quick side wow. note: the same guy, he bought a house, and someone told him when he he bought a house, and someone said, "Man, the lady that lived here before you buried a jar full of money somewhere in the yard. We don't know where." And when when I would show up to work in the morning, I think I was supposed to be there at seven. I can't remember. He'd always be out digging around in his yard. It was like his part of his morning routine would be to go out and dig around looking for this jar of money with nine fingers. But, but was this a? I mean, this was, just a side was this note. an actual fact or is this just lore that someone they were told buried that money was in true. there? Yeah. yeah, someone told him. Huh. He ran a type of chainsaw called a Sax Dolmar. You know that? Song? Oh, Sax, absolutely. To rattle yeah. the teeth right out of your head. Yeah. Yeah, they, they run good, but they'll rattle the teeth out of your skull. Right. I think I think they're still German made, but like, yeah, I haven't heard of uh, Sax Domer for a long time. No, everybody has. Still, everybody runs Husqvarna's and right, steels. You Huskies know. and steels. Yeah. You know. uh, so talk about how you wound up in Nome, and you know, because you were born in uh, the Midwest, right? I was born in the Midwest. I was born in the you know. Um, I was not a model perfect child when I was growing up. You know, it was in the late sixties. And uh, you were part of the counterculture. I was, yeah, yeah. And there was a, you know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, there were the peace marches going on. There were there was racial tension everywhere. You know, what town? What town were you in? uh, Peoria, Illinois. Okay. Yeah. And so anyway, I I was a little little bit bit of a rogue, and I've always been, uh, you know, had to be in the outdoors, and uh, uh, I just uh lived live to being outdoors and i was frustrated i guess when i was a kid because i just didn't have you know get get near as much as i wanted to so i ended up your parents weren't into it no nah, they well i mean they, they they knew i always was always wanting to be in the outdoors and and i was always uh you know running away and going living in the woods and they'd have to send somebody to find me and everything else and then at one point i finally uh uh got to hanging out with uh with uh, some bad people we broke into our my grade school went into the science room and had our way with it had fun with it and so anyway got caught doing that so i was taken before the um uh the courts you know the uh the uh, juvenile courts and for the vandalism for the vandalism exactly and of course you know my the my Recent history had preceded me about throwing away, so apparently I was a problem child. They had to do something with me, and I'll never forget that uh, um, the judge said, "Well, we're going to put you in to the gift gift home, which is the boys' home there." And uh, um, so I remember the judge look, looking down at his papers, and my parents said, "Well, his godparents live in Nome, Alaska. Can we send them to Nome, Nome Alaska?" And the judge looked up, and he looks at me over his glasses. Then he looks over at my parents, looks over his glasses, and says, I don't care where you send him. Just get him out of my town. And so there I am on the way to Nome, Alaska. Yeah. So what, but what did your parents think about that? What was their plan to see you again? Well, they, they just wanted to see me rehabilitated. I, I, you know, they, I would just, they thought, if you want to be in the outdoors, here. Right. Well, I, I don't know. If they <laughs> Here you go, buddy. <laughs> so much saw at that. They just saw that I needed some sort of a change. You know, they needed to get me out of the element that I was in. And actually, you know, to uh, tell you the truth, it it was the best thing ever happened to me. They put me up in in an 
element that, that it was nothing but outdoors. It was hunting, basically living off the land, just doing all this off-the-wall stuff that I would just dreamed or read about, you know. What age were you when you hit hit up and no? Um, I think it was 14. Yes. And did you? No, no, no. I was 13 because I turned, I remember landing in Nome. It was July 4th, and I turned uh, 14 July 24th. So, yeah, I was uh, 13 when I got there. And were your parents, did, did, were there, was there the plan that you would see your parents still? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, so they it, it wasn't a thing you. where, yeah, yeah, where they just uh, wrote, wrote me off and said, uh, you know, good good luck. You know, it was just, uh, they stayed in touch. And then, then I'd, uh, I think, uh, I think it was about a year later, no, a year and a half later, because it was in wintertime, went down and, um, you know, saw them with the family and, and was with the family and and ever since then we, you know we we we're still real, real close our family is so it wasn't like everybody just uh you know wave bye bye and then forgot yeah. so when you were when you were in Nome, you fell in hanging out with the the native kids the Eskimo did, kids right yeah. what 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 uh what like what indigenous group is it in Nome? uh it would be the Inupiats yeah yeah the the Inupiats up there and, uh, and of that's course, who you my, fell, that's who you kind of fell in with. Mm-hmm, yep, yep. And uh, you know, my uh, instantly had had a native girlfriend my year, my, my first year there, and I got to know their family real well, and I'd uh, hang out with them, and 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 it was it was just uh, to me just the neatest thing in the world, being able to go and and uh, you know eat traditional native food, and I wasn't afraid for to try it, and I ended, actually ended up loving it, you know. Uh, Dried ugruk, which is a uh, you know seal uh, that's soaked in seal oil. I, I love that. Uh, you know, muktuk, uh, ushuk, um, and then so I'd live. Uh, um, you know, I hung around with them quite a bit, and their family they uh, they spoke the native tongue more 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 than they did English. So you know, I got to uh, learn a little bit about the the culture and hang out with them and and it was it was before the uh um you know the uh i could still at that that point hunt seal with them and and walrus and all that so i I was able to go on those kinds of hunts and uh, that was before the um um the act where marine where, mammal, the marine, where, protection marine mammal protection yeah, act. yeah yeah marine mammal protection act right yeah so you could accompany them on hunts oh yeah yeah. How would you guys I, go out I, I and hunt? I could actually shoot, shoot seal. How would you guys go hunt walrus? Uh, well, uh, kind of the the uh, um, the really neat thing was was that my uh, my godparents they one worked uh, um, my uh, my godfather worked worked for BLM no not 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 BIA Bureau Bureau of Indian Affairs mm-hmm. and then. Uh, my uh, godmother, she, she worked for a state social services. So they were always having to fly to the real obscure villages like uh, Savunga, Gamble, Diomede. And uh, I was able to go along with them. And at first it was, it was like, oh, man, uh, I don't want to go there. But, but they, would, uh, they wanted me to see all this stuff, which, which now, I mean, it, I have no idea just, just how fortunate I really was. So we'd go to, uh, I remember my first walrus hunt, we went to Savunga and stayed, stayed with some people there. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to go out with them in 
one of the umiaks, you know, the next day. So I did. Explain what an umiak is. Umiak's a, uh, it's a walrus skin boat. It's a, it's a wood frame boat and they take the, uh, uh, walrus skin. They usually split it, you know, put it, put it over the, the wood frame. It dries and, and it's just a, a walrus skin boat. Yeah. So they wanted to take that and take you and go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it what wasn't a, um, it was just, they invited me to go. So I said, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I went along and, uh, I did that a couple of times, once in Savunga, once in Gamble. And then, uh, which, uh, that's on St. Lawrence Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, real quick, how would they hunt the walrus? Uh, with, with, with rifles, they'd go, we'd, it was, uh, you know, we'd, we'd look for them on the ice flows and we'd be going, you know, along and then we'd, uh, you know, binoculars and, and we'd see them and then they'd get as close as they could. And then they'd, um, usually take the, one of the bigger bulls cause they were not only not, not after the, the, the meat, but, uh, tusks were they pretty were important ivory, too. Yeah. 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 When, I, when you, I've heard when you hit walruses, you gotta be careful because they'll sink, right? Uh, I suppose they do, you know. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. But but uh, the ones they took were always on on the ice flows, and then uh, uh, I remember there was one that that I um, actually did get into the water, and they got up close enough that they were able to tie a a, a buoy to it before For it sank. Thing. Yeah, yeah. This but guy they was, but they know where where to place the shot. That's what this Chupic guy was telling us. He was me and Yanni were spent some time with the Chupic out on. Nunavak, mm-hmm. and they hunt them with a two twenty three, wasn't that right, Yanni? I don't remember the caliber. He was saying like, yeah, like a twenty two two fifty or two twenty three. It did seem small. And he said, you got it. You know, and they placed the bullet just to get him right in the brain pan because they said right. if he goes in the water, you can lo- you can lose the whole rollers to yeah, sink they- down if you can't get over and get at it quick. So he says you got you got a slump. He was saying you got to slump it right up on the ice. From what I would remembering, I think they were they were. Um, Aiming for the eye socket, they were aiming for the eye. That that was their uh, fav- favorite place to um, shoot them. You know, anywhere else, of course. You know that they have su- such a thick skull that. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, the ones I remember, yeah, that they, they they would get them right in the eye. Did you like eating that uh, walrus? Oh yeah, it's really actually pretty good. Would you yeah. go inland? Would you go inland with them and hunt caribou, or didn't they? Didn't no, because they, they uh, there were no caribou around there. It, that's a reindeer area, you know the, uh, um, you know like the Seward Peninsula at that that time. That it was mo- mostly all reindeer herds there, um, and noon of, or uh, uh, Saint Lawrence Island. I don't believe they had any kind of caribou or uh, e- even reindeer there. They, but they'd hunt birds out there, right? Oh yeah, yeah, bird, bird, and, and saw some of the most beautiful birdskin parkas they, they they'd wear, and they weren't, uh, you know, they would they would actually wear them because they were functional. You know, they 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 shed water well and and they were warm, but but beautiful at the same time too. I mean, they 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 were actually still in that day in the seventies dressing in uh, in the traditional native wear, you know. So how did it work out that? How did it work out that you be, that you got involved in guiding? Like, what was the first thing that started pulling you out of Nome and bringing you kind of into the, you know, into the big game world? Right. Well, and and, and, and even though you had that like that exposure to subsistence lifestyle, like what was it that drew you into, you know, being out in the mountains and hunting? moose and sheep and whatnot oh well i tell you what that um 
it, even when I was a kid, still, still in Illinois, you know, the, hearing the life of uh, uh, big game hunters and, and guiding big game hunters, it was always just kind of real romantic life for me. I always wanted to uh, just uh, uh, hunt and fish, and and uh, so so I always had that uh, you know that that allure. And then when I actually went to Nome and was able to go out and hunt ptarmigan and moose and and get get the t- taste of it. I loved it, and when we moved to so Anch- you guys would hunt moose out of Nome. Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. And so when I uh, got to to Anchorage, we you know and my my buddies in school, we'd be going hunting snowshoe hare. We'd be going out hunting anything, anywhere, you know, moose. And then how'd you wind up down in Anchorage though? Um, well, it just ended up that they they uh, my godparents they they decided they. would had enough of the bush life, and they oh, moved to Anchorage. I so, so, so moved I moved them. with them. And so I, you're a teenager then, or whatever. I was, yeah. In fact, uh, it was my junior year in high school, and then so then I graduated from high school in, in Anchorage. Did you think? Did you view going from Nome to Anchorage as like a major setback in your hunting life? Oh, I hated it. I didn't want to go to Anchorage. It's Anchorage. You know? Man, Anchorage. I was having a blast. Yeah. I had. <laughs> I had all these girlfriends. I had hunting. I had everything. It was, I mean, life was grand, you know? And, uh, but. And you got sucked into the big city. Yeah, I got sucked into the big city. I did not want to go. It was just, uh, and then, uh, then of course, had to get to Nome and then, or not, uh, Anchorage and then had to get adjusted to the, the big size city life at that point, a big high school, you know, the, the, we we called it the green box in Nome. You know, the green box. It was, uh, you know, um, it, it was high school. It was it was junior high. It was grade school. Everybody in the same box. You know? And this, they've already started the pipeline at this point. No, they haven't. No. So that was seventy no, eight. What, what? Yeah, yeah. They started the pipeline. I believe seventy five, seventy six. Okay, so, and, and so we're talking, Anchorage wasn't really Anchorage wasn't really here in the way we know it today. No, no. I mean, it it's a, you know the change. Once the pipeline started up, Anchorage just, uh, man, it just boomed. You know, it, it was amazing. I mean, the hunting, I'm joking about Anchorage, because the hunting around Anchorage is still pretty damn good if you're, amb- oh, if you're ambitious. Yeah, yeah. It's and not of course, like a good place for lazy, it's not a good place for lazy hunters. <laughs> no, it's not, you know, but it, it, it's a, also one, one of these things where we've got hunters that, uh, they get into Anchorage and and they they think, man, it's going to be a snap because they see moose walking around downtown Anchorage and and even bears in down downtown Anchorage. So they're they're thinking, wow, what's it going to be like when I really get out in the woods? If there's this kind of you know animal movement, you know wild game movement, right in downtown Anchorage, you know down in. Uh, but then what happens? And then and then they get out there and they realize that. You know, it takes them a while, but they realize, hmm, there isn't a moose or behind every tree. There isn't a bear behind every tree. These animals really don't care whether I see them or not. You know, whereas the animals in in anchors are they're used to people, so they're not a threat. Whereas, uh, you know, they get out into the bush, all these animals still have that natural fear, and they're going to, uh, you know, they're they're they're. Ears and nose and eyes are telling them, uh, you know, we don't want anything that to do with you weird-looking yeah. animals. Mm-hmm. So what was the kind of hunting you guys were doing at, in high school? Uh, high school, it, uh, it was mostly small game, I guess, you know, uh, off, off the road system. Uh, moose season would come on and we'd, we'd go moose hunting in September, but 
like during the winter, uh, ptarmigan, snowshoe hare, uh, spruce hen, any, anything to get out and just play in the woods, you know. We had, uh, back then, there actually was still a winter season for sheep and goat back in the Chugach, and it hadn't gone to permit area in there yet. So, um, you know, we could go in there and hunt sheep and goat in the winter. I never took, took one in the winter, but I'd go with friends and, and they would, you know, they'd take That's them. pretty tough, huh? Actually, no, it wasn't. You know, you'd go back there with a snow machine and oh, wander around. And so, you know, and that's, that, and rightly so, it, it's a good thing they, they closed it. And, and of course, now it's all, it's all permit in there too. So, so how old were you when you got your first moose? Um, well, it was in, we were in Nome, I suppose, at 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how about when you came down here? When I came down here, um, I myself didn't take any moose until I went out to, uh, um, went out to where, to, to the river where I started doing all my guiding and, and really got, got into the hardcore bush lifestyle. So it was, uh, and then it would have been, uh, that winter, my first winter in there after all the hunters had left, then it was just me in there. I decided to stay, stay the winter and I was going to be the, uh, I was going to trap for a living. I didn't want to go back to town. I just wanted to live out there. Take on, care. Hold on now, because how old are you at this point? At the, uh, okay, uh, my first year out of high school, so I'm going to be I'm going to be 19 at this point. I guess. So then, at that point, you said I'm going to go off and live in the bush and try to become a guide and trapper. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's when the pipe, pipeline first started. When I graduated from high school, uh, I had two choices: I could go up, work on a pipeline, and become filthy rich like everybody thought they would, or I could go out live in the woods, take care of horses, and be a worthless mountain man. Hmm, let me see. Which way is the scales tilting? And they, they tilted to me going out being a worthless mountain man. And so I you succeeded. Found, you just found an outfitter to, to, yeah, to do uh, some work. Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, the outfitter that I went out to work for, he was looking for somebody to uh, go out and, and take care of the horses. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, Duh! Who, who who wouldn't? What 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 kid wouldn't wouldn't want to go live out in the woods? And his main transportation being being horses, living off the land. And I mean that. Wait, that so whole, this guy was keeping his horses out over the winter. Yeah, we actually took took the horses. In. Yeah, the we were first thoughts were that we were going to be flying, you know, bringing the horses, riding the horses in and out every winter. But that trip in with the horses was so miserable that that uh, we decided to winter the horses in there. But now and, this isn't the same trip that you went in to find your lodge for the first time. Oh, no, no. Huh? This is no. different. Okay. Yeah, oh, this, so, is, this is early. This is before I didn't really stake uh, uh, the lodge land until 76. This is after I'd already been established. Further up valley, about 25 miles up from where the lodge is now. So talk about, so there's an outfitter that wants to get some horses back into the bush, and he wants to use them to hunt sheep and moose with. Yeah, and but there's no trail. There's no. What's it take to get the horses in there? Like, what kind of journey is that? Oh man, it's just for one thing. Alaska, at least at least South Central Alaska, is really not good horse country. I mean, it's swampy. There's willows. It's just, uh, it's just miserable. I mean, the, it's not not like uh, you know. The, the the west where you've got solid ground you just know just go riding off anywhere you want right, yeah. yeah no and uh so yeah the uh um 
we started heading out there. We're, 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 you know, having this vision of, uh, you know, the mountain men heading off into the, into the mountain. Everything's going to be rosy and, and, uh, ends up to get, getting stuck in the willow patches, getting horses mired down in, in, uh, uh, the willows. We got to one, one creek where we had to, uh, we couldn't cross it, uh, to Cahilton River. So we had to go clear up to Mount McKinley, cross Cahilton Glacier, come down the other side. And then, uh, so how many miles does this trip wind up being with these horses? Uh, it, well, at, as the crow flies, only about a, uh, about 120 miles. But as, uh, if you follow the path, it ended up probably being 250, 300, you know, just from all the detours we had to take. And how many horses? Uh, we started out with seven. I get it. That means someone didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We started, started out with seven and then we, we, we had, had the, the, uh, the river destination in mind where we were going to go. And then when, we you finally wanted to set up a base camp mm-hmm. to start guiding. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, um, and of course I would, I would just the, uh, go for it at this point. I would just, you know, one, um, you know, the other, uh, two guys I was with, they were the, uh, they were the licensed guides. I was the new new kid on the block that was just there to help for, for for the adventure. So they think at first, like, we'll bring these horses in 130 miles or whatever, and then we'll hunt all fall and then ride them back to town. Exactly. It, it, it wasn't even close. Those we, horses never came back to town. Oh, no, no, no. And then uh, all the other horses that uh, we took out there, we ended up flying in, you know, to... Uh, um, there was a, a mine strip that was quite a way down, so we'd load horses up into a caribou and fly them out, and then ride ride them up valley. What in the hell are you feeding them out there in the wintertime? Oh, in the wintertime. Well, you know when we'd have um, uh, the beaver come out, they would bring uh, clients, and an empty plane would come out to um, pick up clients. We'd we'd uh, fill the plane up with oats and uh, you know compressed bales of alfalfa. Um, and then I, re- I remember many times having to lay on top of bags of feed in the plane, you know, to get, get somewhere cause we had to have, have feed in there. But then we supplemented for the, for the roughage during the winter. Uh, I'd cut birch trees and drink, drag in whole birch trees and they would, they would eat, eat the birch limbs, even the whole tree for, for their roughage. So fed, fed them once in the morning, uh, once in the evening, um, uh, scoop of pellets, scoop of oats, and then a leaf, leaf of alfalfa. Then when it would get uh, uh, really cold, when we're talking, you know, 35, 40 degrees below zero, would supplement their feed with uh, molasses, you know, that, that, that we'd mix in with it. And, you know, Steve, it was really crazy. These these horses, the first horse that we had, uh, we we bought them. Uh, they they came, came from the Yukon, yeah, and we bought them. They... They were they they were young. They didn't know what in the world, world to do. But when we went out there, I remember the first uh, first year we tried building them a shelter, like a, a barn, make, makeshift barn to get going and sit in. They would not. No matter freezing rain, freezing cold, uh, snow, they would not go into any kind kind of shelter. They would just come and and stand with their butts up against the door of the cabin there and and. Uh, uh, but but they were they were so tough, so rangy, you know that they were uh, um, they were pretty amazing. And 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 we we, we actually did try 
uh, getting some horses from uh, from the lower 48 brought them up, and two of them didn't even last the first winter. You know, candy asses. Absolutely, man. If uh, a guy up here, if he want, want, wants a horse for the type operation, what we're going to do? If you can get it from Canada, that's the way to do it. Um. So eventually, it comes up like, well, someone's going to have to stay here with the horses all winter because we can't ride them out, and that becomes your job. That's not my job. It was my wish. So then you're, here you are. Now you're going to spend you're spending the whole winter out in the bush by yourself. Oh yeah, man. Here's this kid from uh, Illinois. All his life, he wanted to be Jeremiah Johnson. You know, he wanted to he wanted to trap and and uh, you know just just be be a mountain man. And here's my opportunity. I mean, right down to the horses and sawbucks and having to use the horses to run the trap line. You know, we uh, there were no snow machines. The only mechanical thing we had out there was a chainsaw that ran about half the time. You know, everything else was, uh, uh, you know, either on old wooden snowshoes running the trap line when it got too deep for the horses, or you know, at the beginning of the season, I'd uh, have have the horses to run and, and go ahead and string the steel, and then I'd um, go, you know, use the horses. I'd I'd build little lean twos that that. Uh, uh, you know, out of um, spruce trees, you know, I'd, I'd cut a crossbar, put spruce trees on it, and just just basically made made a little cave out of spruce trees. It would snow over the top top of that, and it'd be a shelter. You know, so I'd spend the night out in in, in those, and uh, you know, and because so I I had three I had three lines out. I had my upriver line, my downriver line, and my up mountain line. And the mountain mountain line, it was it was only about. Two miles straight straight up the mountain. That's the one I'd take on the, you know, what I wanted to break. And then the other ones were, they were like five miles long, so ten ten miles round trip. Which which when you have an established trail, snowshoe trail, I mean you can scoop right right along. But when you have a fresh snow, of course you have having to break break trail, so it can kind of kind of wear wear you out a little bit. So you're trapping Pine Martin, Lynx, Wolverine. Uh, yeah, my big money makers were uh, um, uh, Martin number one, Wolverine number two, uh, Beaver. The 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 price on Beaver were high then, and uh, first first I tried trapping Beaver through through the ice. You know all the all the romantic things you see in the books about cutting the hole and making your pole and, and wiring. You know, forget that. I just started trapping the bank beavers you know and when it was cold you wouldn't see them but as soon as you'd get a warm snap the beaver would be out like you know they'd be coming out you know smelling the fresh air and and, and they'd be everywhere and they they were a lot easier to take then you focus on them in the spring i'm sorry you'd focus on them in the spring no and in in the fall uh you know er, early on and then, Before and then even got all froze up, and, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then, and then even like, like, like I say, when there'd be a warm spell come up, you know, you'll have have your chinooks come in in January, you know, uh, late December, January, February, and a uh, beaver, beaver will come out then, and, and then they'll go back in once that warm warm spell's over. But it was more, uh, I caught more in, in the fall because usually I'd try and get out there. Um, you know, the end of February and try to hit the fur rendezvous and uh, hit the fur auctions and sell my furs, you know. So were you making more money trapping or more money taking care of these horses? Well, I wasn't getting paid to take care of the horses. I, I had to, I was just out there, you know, 
voluntarily. I wanted to be there. So I wasn't getting paid to take take care of the horses. Um, it was um, if I wanted to make any money, I had to trap. But I, but I had had no, had no expenses. You know, they uh, they paid for my food. You know what <laughs> what food they would give me. Of course, the you know all the prime stuff like uh, uh, butter and potatoes and everything. It was always gone within the first month, and then usually ended up. Uh, the last couple months that I would be in there, it nothing but a strict meat diet. You know, I'd have to shoot a moose, and and then I'd live live on the moose. It was, I had a grinder out there, so it'd be like, you know, I'd grind up some moose burger, have moose burger in the morning, then then moose steak for lunch, moose burger in the evening, then moose steak for breakfast. The next day. <laughs> so it kind of altered. <laughs> I'd always have have some some kind of a moose concoction, you know. And you're uh, eating beaver meat. Uh, oh man, beaver's really actually pretty good. It is, yeah. Um, and then I remember one time caught a lynx, and uh, I tried eating the lynx, and the lynx was. I was amazed. The lynx is really good, you know. Um, and I've tried a few other things. I remember. Uh, <laughs> One time, well, I'm going to try some Wolverine. I'd take the skulls like like off the Wolverine and I'd boil them, you know, to keep 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 the skulls to clean. So I'd thought, hmm, this thing's been boiling for a while, so that meat's got to be pretty tender. So I pull the skull out and uh, I just kind of take it, look at it. Hmm, looks pretty tender. So I kind of bit into it like like an apple. Bad idea. It's it's <laughs> like the muscle. It's on not that very head. good. Yeah, the muscle on that head's not very exactly. good. No, it's not. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Now, would you eat pine squirrel, porcupine, uh, porcupine camp robbers during the summer for uh, for me? Usually, what I do in the spring, I would shoot a black bear, and then I had a make- makeshift smoker that uh, that I'd uh, uh, smoke up the black bear meat, and then. For fre- fresh meat, it would have to be. Uh, I ate a lot of grayling and rain- rainbow out of the river, but uh, but I'd also um, eat a lot of porcupine, um, you know, um, snow snowshoe hare, um, grouse, anything. You know, of course, we wouldn't take take any moose or anything because it just wouldn't keep. There any way way to preserve that? But a lot of a lot of small game. And then, eventually, fall comes. And it's time to guide, right? Yeah, and that became kind of your, your kind of oh yeah, your I passion. Mean, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. Not not only the passion, but uh, uh, you know, at some point, too, a guy said, "Well, you know, I need I need to make make some money." So, uh, yeah, my first uh, first first year your guide, I was um, really scared and nervous, but but uh, once the the guy guy got out there. Um, he was from Hungary. Did, didn't um, speak any English. Your first client was from Hungary. He was, yeah, yeah. He didn't speak speak any, any English, and and so um, he pretty much depended on me. And and it was kind of like, uh, you know, wow, if there's somebody out there that depends on me. I have kind of have his life in my hand. I felt powerful because I I was really secure and I can take this guy out and take take care of him. He sure couldn't take care of himself and. Uh, were you, were you calling moose then? Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and I learned from uh, the guys I first started with, with out there. I'd listen to them, and the first time I saw it happen, I was like, "Wow, this really works!" And then a lot of it came rip, to rip, rip a cow call for us, real quick. Ah. Ah. 
Oh, it gives me a little chub. Now do the um, do the do a bull call. And 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 you'd have to try and project. Everybody wants to go out there with the birch bark cones and everything else, but to me, that's just just ridiculous. That's you know, theatrics. Sure, yeah, and then and then there's uh, other system. You know, people have these um, make make a hole in the bottom of a coffee can, pull a rope through it, and none of it, it ever ever sounded real to me. And a lot of the what I would do, I would actually be out there and actually hear the cows or hear the bulls and then and then just try and mimic that you know i've yet to hear i've yet to hear a cow do a really? cow call never heard a cow do a cow call oh man no i, I hear bulls every every yeah yeah bulls but every year pretty common uh, i mean me i mean but oh, damn I mean, I I've, yeah i remember I've, I've been laying in in the sleeping bag at night in moose camp hearing cows calling it's pretty oh, cool right? yeah, yeah yeah in the middle of the night even yeah Oh yeah. You know what? I say that man, but I gotta check with my older brother my other not Danny here, but my other older brother. Because maybe the more I think about it, I think that I gotta talk to him about it. I think years ago we did Elk hunting. Yeah. I got I gotta ask about that because I have like the vaguest recollection of it. But uh back to this chat from Hungry. This is your first guiding experience. It is my my, my very first. Does the, guy, does the guy get a moose? Yes, he did. Yeah, and and it was a, it, it was so so funny when I, uh, you know, he was scared to death of horses, and of course, all the horses had different per- personalities, you know, and and so I tried to put him on the uh, uh, most docile horse we had, but but still at the same token, you know, that a horse a horse can really sense an inexperienced rider you know he an old punky she'd kind of look back at put with her eyes and she said yeah i got this guy's ticket i know what i can get get away with and we, we we'd go off, off up the, the the trail and punky would take him underneath branches you know and yeah and of course you know he's uh, uh like like with the rain you, you're trying teach him well the the horses are neck, neck rain but of course you know he's he's got the reins and he's trying to trying to pull them like uh you know pull a head one way or the next and she didn't like that and she, it was like you know finally i've had enough you know the is what, what 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 she's thinking and he just he just couldn't get it guy great guy I mean, it was it was fun it was a fun experience and being able to just have somebody else's you know life in my own hands and, and being able to to take them whatever it was they were looking for was fun. Did you did you like being responsible for someone because you'd always perceived yourself as a troublemaker and a derelict and here was sort of a way that to of proving that that wasn't true? Like what do you mean that you liked having that? No, nah, that's a that's a little deep. I never really thought about that. Yeah, but I mean it might be a little deep, but I mean there's gotta be something going on. Why did you like having well, I, I never really tried to analyze it, but uh, to me, it, it was just, uh, um, you know, I didn't see, see it, you know, from my from my faults as a as a kid. I I just saw it, just enjoying taking this guy out because uh, uh, because I'm really good at what I'm what I'm doing and and uh, something I've always wanted to do. Did you like that, uh, like the teacher role? 
Uh, to shit like that, yeah, you'd show yeah, someone I, I, something I, you liked. You'd show someone yeah. something you loved. Kind of yeah, I, I guess I really enjoyed the, uh, you know, especially be, being at, at that that age. Somebody looking up to me, you know, somebody yeah. that's older me, older than me, a, a, a senior looking up to me and and asking me these questions. Well, how do we do this? How do we do that? Or uh, just seeing me as, uh, um, you know, the expert in what I'm doing, and that. That, uh, that 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 felt good. From from the client's perspective, it was probably really cool to be w- hanging with someone that was that connected to the landscape. Oh yeah, because I, I think it, at least in this day and age, and maybe then too, so many of these guys roll in just for yeah. a few weeks during hunting season from somewhere in the lower forty eight, and yeah, and plus I, I I suppose I probably probably looked the part too. You know, here's this here's this guy with the longer hair and the cloak clothes I wore, not that I was trying to address the part, it's just that you naturally fall into the, into the look and the mystique, you know, the movement you do of, of just somebody that's lived in the bush. And, you know, you get these people from, that come in that are uh, pretty much city born and, uh, you know, dwell in the city and they, they can, they can see that, that you've been out in the bush and you're comfortable out there and, and you're deal. confident and, yeah, and that they they don't have any problem in putting their life in your hand. Yeah. How long did you guide for that outfit before going off and trying to start your own outfitting oh, business? Oh, I was with him until uh, I clear through the uh, clear through the eighties, and then I got my master guide license, or and then I went into business from I think my first hundred were uh, like nineteen ninety. 1991, somewhere right. That's right when you first there. started going off by yourself. And, and right. at that point, where you already you were already had experience guiding the things like the main things you like to focus on now are doll sheep, moose, and brown bears, right? Oh, right, doll sheep, moose, brown bear, grizzly. They're they're what we're most noted for in that order. Yeah, and tell that's, me your order again. Uh, sheep, moose, brown bear, grizzly. Yeah, and that uh, that's basically more what. Uh, you know what we had out there, but what I cut my teeth on, and and uh, and in our area, you know, just has as a uh, good good population of all those. So when you went into business by yourself, that's what you focused on, right? Yeah, yeah. We advertised more for uh, you know, um, and if you want to take caribou, black bear, they're out there, and uh, you know, you can go ahead and. And uh, take them and no, no no extra charge out there because I've I've always been a firm believer if you book a ten 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 day hunt you ought to be able to stay out there and hunt hunt for ten ten days you know but those times are changing now oh boy big time yeah yeah they are. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited. Photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, it's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame. 
wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Yeah. No one wants to hunt hard anymore. No, they... Yeah, and, and that, that, that's it. You just can't convince a lot of these people that very rarely do these animals come in and surrender. I mean, you've actually got to go out there and work for them. You have to get wet. You have to get dirty. You have to, uh, yeah, you've got to be uncomfortable some, sometimes. And you have, have to work, work hard at it. And, uh, you know, you have, have to be able to accept disappointment sometimes, you know, that animals aren't always going to move the way you want. And a guide can be out there and he can have all the experience and the uh, expertise in the world but sometimes uh you know there's um you know that's not enough these animals don't care whether you see them or not they're going to do their very best to avoid you and you were Uh, but you were involved in alaska hunting at a time when there was still a bit of like exploration going on right i mean not like big like map making but i mean that you could pioneer new hunting spots back then oh absolutely yeah yeah and that and that was part of the uh part of the fun i had when i went out out there there, there too and my uh 
to me, part of my job or my, my obligations too were to take the horses and just head that way, see what's over there, you know. And there were, there were still areas that are, uh, you know, wild where nobody was hunting in. Nobody had really uh, been in there and tried it out. And I'd take the horses and I'd head up in, into the mountains for days, you know, uh, exploring new places. So did you find like a lot of little sheep spots and stuff that people just hadn't hunted sheep? Yeah, well, uh, the area where we hunted, it, it was before the uh, Denali National Park and Preserve was... Uh, um, um, implemented so we'd go up the head head of the valley and and we'd always heard there were sheep up there and and so uh we took the horses up there took uh you know about three days went up there just to check it out and uh saw that there was sheep up there so we went ahead and booked a couple hunters and took them up there before that it was just you know i I guess people would fly up there but we we didn't really have access to airplanes or anything thing like like that so it was just all everything we did exploring we did were off horseback and what would be a long hunt for you guys back then uh 10 days yeah everything is usually based on 10 days but what about when you just out messing around by yourselves Uh, um i mean as far as my hunting goes yeah i don't know i'm pretty much just hunting every day i mean if there's a time where like during trapping season or whatever and i needed moose i just go out there and i wouldn't get hardcore like with, with the clients you know you're obligated to to hit it hard all day every every day and i just uh uh when i was out there by myself hunting on my own i just do it at my own convenience you know yeah. if i wanted to or needed it or if i got hungry yeah. what's a master guide license um well it, it basically just a uh uh, it holds the same weight as a registered guide license, but it's a it's a longevity thing that uh, uh, you qualify for it. I forget how many years you you've had to have been a math or a, a registered guide for so many years, had so many favorable recommendations, been approved by the uh, uh, guide board uh, before they'll issue you a master guide license. So it takes a minimum of uh, at least twenty two or twenty three years to become a master guide. Because uh, you've had to have done done your initiation as as an assistant guide, which takes three years, then you can apply to take your um, uh, registered guide test. At least that, that this back back when I did it in in the seventies, and then uh, then you've had to have been a registered guide book. So so many hunters had so many favorable recommendations from them, and then you can apply for your master guide license. And how many master guides do you think are in the state now? You know? I'm not sure. I know um, uh, they they don't reissue a, uh, a master guide license number. I've got one of the one of the lower active master guide numbers right right, right now. What's your and, number? In fact, I remember uh, it's it's eighty. Uh, I remember when I took my. So reg- you were the eightieth guy to become a master guide yes yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, i remember um and of course there's they've all died you know since that a lot of times you reach the mass master guide status it's um you know, you're, you're not around <laughs> but but longer <laughs> after that but when i took my registered guide test uh in 1978 it was a uh, one, one of one of the um you know Big, biggest accomplishments of my life up, up, up to that that point. And I remember uh, um, 
did the I did did the written and then I passed the orals and uh, and when I came out of the orals I was out in the hall waiting and the and the gal that was uh, giving the test that worked for the state she came out and she said Mike she walked up to me looked at me she said congratulations you're the youngest registered guide in the state. So I was the youngest registered guide in the state at that point. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a real... So I took her out to dinner that night. Had some, had some <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Dude, and then, can you give us an example of uh, like a question that you'd answer in the in the orals or, or any any questions yeah. on that test? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I remember, okay, um, for instance, some of the... Uh, what was some of the questions? Uh, what are the uh, uh, four... Four mammals in Alaska that remain white year round. Uh, that would be uh, a question. Let me let me do let me do that one. I got three of them. Year round? It, it's always the port. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's always yeah. Port I got it. I got there, it. There's a key. Nah, there's it's, a key it's, word it's, it's in that trick, question. Yeah, it's a trick question. Yep. But I got it. Okay. You and, got it. And now I'm goofed up because now I got to think about the question again. Dirt myth, the question: What are the four mammals that remain white year round? Dirt myth, you got it. I think so. Ridge pounder. You don't. We say mammals. Well, don't overemphasize it. So so I'm guessing there's there's a whale that stays white. Yeah, we were just talking about dead ones a minute ago or an hour ago. Yes, the beluga whale. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what the other three are? It, it's amazing how so many people, and they're sitting in my lodge, and some of them are hanging on a wall, and they're thinking, <laughs> they're looking up in the air. You got a hanging on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but we got a goat, and we got a sheep on the, uh, you know, and then, and then, of course, the other one, polar bear. And then, uh, I remember one of the other questions, too, what are the four, uh, four animals that change color with the seasons? Ptarmigan, weasel, snowshoe hare. Arctic hair. No, Arctic hair, snowshoe hair. Well, there's three ptarmigans, so there's three right there. No, come on, you bonehead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so weasels. Weasels, one. Yeah, it it, it goes from a weasel to an ermine. Yep. Mm -hmm. Ptarmigan goes from a regular one to a white one. Right. (laughs) Snowshoe hair goes from a regular one to a white one. Right. What was the one I just said a minute ago? It's the Arctic fox. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so those are the ones. There that, you go. What did I say that you didn't like? Um, oh, Sorry, uh, Arctic hair. Arctic hair, snowshoe hair. They're all hair. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a trick question. Yeah. Danny, did you have all those? Um, what was the last one? That's what I hung or, up on. Yeah, Arctic fox. I didn't have Arctic fox. Rich founder, would you, did, you, did you feel like you did good on any of those? I did good on the, on the first one. You like that little mammal part? Yeah, the mammal part. I got it. Yeah, because you were like, oh, mammals. Uh-huh. And I, re- I do remember <laughs> one, one of the questions I thought was a trick question on the uh, registered guide test was that, uh, uh, and I got it wrong too. But uh, if the qu- question was, when you're standing around the campfire, uh, <laughs> where where does the smoke go? And you know, it was like, you know, prevailing this the, or pre- goes prevailing that toward beauty. Yeah. yeah. And and the, the the one that I thought 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 was the 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 stupid answer was uh, because obviously when you stand around the fire the smoke's blowing in your face because you know? you're creating a little you're creating a backdraft. Well, I'm not thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Well, they're just they're they're just trying to be funny, you know. But they're, yep. not. But uh, they're actually is truth. Yeah, your body creates a backdraft, and the smoke 
Yep. You're up in smoke, and smoke goes up in your face. I was reading about when guys used to use the strategy you're talking about, the lean-to. Mm-hmm. And you build a fire, you know, to try to fill it yeah. with some warmth. That oftentimes people will build that lean-to that it's that the pitch is pitched into the wind, thinking that you got a wind protection. Yeah. But how that causes all that smoke to peel up, and you actually want to build it so the wind's moving across the yeah. across the mouth, right? And not, lean too, not, so it's not exactly. just so you're not just filling not, the whole thing with smoke the whole time. Not only from smoke too, but uh, drifting snow too. I mean, it, it'll do the same thing with with snow. Yeah, a lot of times what I what How'd I do. How do you keep them just freezing your ass, man? No, you don't. Did you have a good bag? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I had a. Remember my mom, one of my first. Uh, uh, gift she got me when when I first moved up there my first year was a uh, a North Face um, expedition bag, uh, you know down, and I've still got that to the you know you know to this day up, up in the loft at the lodge. Yeah, but uh, a lot a lot of times and, you put and your feet it, or your head it, toward it just, the fire. I'm sorry, feet or head toward the fire. Um, I think usually my head. Whenever I'd lay down that. Yeah, with the head sticking out. That that's what felt the warm. But my favorite ones, Steve, were I'd be uh, uh on on trail and I'd decide I'd I'd be spending the night and then um you know, the snow is usually five, six, six feet deep and you get uh, you find these big spruce, of course, you know, the the snow's falling on the branches, uh, bringing the branches down and there's a big void at the ba- base of the tree and there's all the dry, dead grass underneath there, you oh, know. Like, you mean like a tree well? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 and and you know you'd cut uh, uh, spruce spruce boughs, you know, to lay lay on the bottom, and and you crawl up underneath there, and you'd uh, uh, kick some of the snow out, out you know, at, at the well. You'd get a fire going down there, and you could actually get some pretty good warmth coming coming up underneath there because the fire, you know, the um, it, the the branches would actually hold some of the heat down in there because yeah. the, the branch would have snow on them too, and and you're you're, you're surrounded. So it's basically a, a a really a nice shelter. And then I'll never forget time just uh, uh, falling asleep. You know, because I'd cut the spruce boughs and lay on top of the spruce boughs with a sleeping bag, and just the smell of the spruce and the dead grass and the smell of the fire. It's just I mean, right now I can still visualize it and sense it and it just really bring, brings back some nice memories you know that kind of stuff would you ever come across uh critters in those those situations where they're down bedded in those warm spots or no i i can't say as i i ever remember any there uh you know times that that you'd go along and, and you'd actually you know either see martin or wolverine you know scare them up but i've never actually chased one out of a out of a hole like that how many uh how many times have you been attacked by bears? Uh three times. Yeah, they were all they how were many, all, how many skirmishes have you had with bears? I mean close calls? Yeah. Um I don't know. Quite a few. I mean there's quite a few. I've had uh brown bear that uh, I was tracking a brown wounded brown bear and he had circled around and was coming up behind me in a willow patch. Uh had a brown bear that uh had a client we took um, a brown bear that was off of a moose carcass, and the minute we shot, there was a uh, another brown bear that was sleeping in the alders right next to us. We didn't know about that came um, came bounding out. It, it was probably uh, fifteen feet from us and came bounding out and 
my client and I turn at time just turn around, and I'll never forget that the, the sound of that. This one still just make, makes the hair stand up on my neck. That when she was coming at me, she was slobbering, and when she would pick up her paws, you could hear the claws clacking when she'd pick up her paws and she was <laughs> running at us. And she was, I have never, I have never in my life seen such rage in an animal as as this. Uh, brown bear had we had we had time to shoot from the hip we had turned turn around shoot from the hip and when she dropped fortunately uh it was actually the client's bullet that that hit it in the head but um when she dropped her nose landed landed on, on, on my hip boot but and i'll never forget after that him and i both sat down and we just started shaking you know the old what ifs because she was if she had gotten hold of either one of us we wouldn't you know one of the others wouldn't have been here today because I've never in my life seen that kind of a rage out of an animal. How'd you get attacked by three black bears? Uh, let me see. One of them uh, had my godparents come out uh, when I first went went out to where I was, uh, you know, staying. Um, they came out one one summer and brought friends of theirs from Texas. They they were from from Texas, and it was you know a little sod roof cabin that, that that we had built it, you know, or spending the winter. So I just let them have the cabin and I slept in a tent outside and uh, it was in the middle of the night. Um, all of a sudden I'm sleeping and all of a sudden, you know, I'm just being shook and drug. I was like, what the hell, you know? Um, and, <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll never forget looking over that lady from the guide class. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget looking over and seeing the imprint of this bear's nose. I mean, it's still so, so, so vivid. And he's through the tent fabric. Yeah. Through, 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 you know, you know, the nostril holes and you can see him. and he's backing up, trying to dra- drag me off on, into the bushes. And, and I was sleeping with my 44 and I just grabbed it real, real quick and you know shot it in the head well through the tent through the tent yeah yeah and it it fell on top of me and and there i am all all uh tied up in sleeping bag and tent and you know all and i'll never forget uh my godparents they came out and and my aunt mary kept kept saying um uh lee mike's being attacked by the bear shoot it shoot it shoot it and uh and what it is I'm trying to push the bear off me, so the bear's humping up and down. You know, I try to push it off, and I'm screaming, "No, don't shoot it! Don't shoot it! Don't shoot it!" Because, because of course they're they're from Texas. They weren't real wood savvy. They're just looking well, at shooting like that shoot, bear. But they like to shoot. It. <laughs> they don't realize that a bullet can go through a bear and into into what's underneath it. You know, so yeah. Did you have any when you were trapping the wolverines? Did any of those ever you just hear about how aggressive they are? Like had. You know, yeah, but, yeah, by yeah. There, were, there was one time uh, had a wolverine that uh, um, I had I had gone out. I just had my seven mag with me. And I was doing doing the, the the upline trail, so I took the seven mag with me, look, looking for a moose. And went back and uh, back back in the cabin there, and I got I don't know about half a mile away, and was sitting at this um, uh, mineral lake, uh, you know, hope, hoping to see a, a moose come in. So. Sat there for about an hour, did, and said, "Well, I'm going to go go ahead and check check my traps while I'm coming up here." And the night before, it had uh, uh, it had rained, and then it had frozen hard. You know, next morning, about got up to my actually got up to my first set had a Martin in it, and then got up to the second set, and it was on a uh, uh, a dead snag. I had 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 to, to, a number one and a half tied, tied to the end of a dead snag, 
And the snag was broken off when I got there. I thought, wow, what happened to this? And I was looking looking for tracks to see where the trap and everything thing went, but everything was frozen, so I couldn't really see much in the way of tracks. And then off in the distance, I hear this snarling, and I knew right away then what had happened. A wolverine had got caught in the number one, broke off the snag, and it took it off. So I, I started beating feet over to where the uh, uh, noise was, and I got there, and there was a wolverine that was caught by one toe, and he was he was tangled up in the willows. So I got my seven mag. I didn't want to shoot it with a seven mag, so I started looking around for a, a stick to hit him in the head with. Well, he was just going nuts, you know, trying to pull all that. And uh, I couldn't find a stick, and then all of a sudden, he pulled out of the trap, and and just just for a split second, I'm standing there, and he's standing here. We're we're probably ten feet apart. We we, we both just <laughs> stared at each other, <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden, he came running at me, and he started. I had Carhartt cut coveralls on. And he he hit me and he started climbing up up my my, my lace, you know, <laughs> just shredding the car. And the only thing I had was my seven mag, so I had it uh, by the barrel and I started swinging at it like a baseball bat with like a, the Alamo by man. the barrel. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody else. <laughs> and and it ended up um, ended up breaking the stock off, you know, the the, the end of the stock off the seven mag, you know, when I hit it. So did you get the wolverine? Oh yeah, yeah, it not knocked him knocked him out he was intent on but holy but, cow yeah so uh that's that's the only time i've ever had a wolverine get a hold of me so what, i want to get to some more stuff about your your business and whatnot but what are the other two black bear attacks uh the other one uh let me see had uh had one where um uh it's when i was building the lodge and they had had the plane uh come in it was full of Full of lumber, and before we left, I, I always bring, bring my forty-four with me. Um, and so, uh, the plane lands, and the pilot, who's a real, real good friend, friend, friend of mine now, uh, when we taxi up to the bank there, we got 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 out, and we were unloading lumber. And um, all of a sudden, he said, "Look out!" And I turned turned around, and there was a black bear that come over the bank, and was coming down uh, on onto us there. You know, and and then, then he he stopped. It it it, it was a false, false charge, and, and then I'll uh, and then he turned around and went back up into the shed where we kept all all the horse feed, and that's what what he was doing. So anyway, uh, Jeff said, "You're going to be okay," and I said, "Oh yeah, I, I got, got got my 44 here. It'll be okay." So he said, "Okay, well, I'll go ahead and take off." So he took off, and then I uh, went searching around for my 44, looking at everything. Like man, it's not here. Where is it? And come to find out, uh, I had I had it underneath the seat of the truck, and and I just forgot got got to get it. So anyway, ah, no big deal. You know, usually go up there and just yell at them, and then uh, you know they'll go away. Well, went up there and yelled at him, and he come uh, stuck his head out of the door. He had chewed a hole through the door and was uh, uh, eating horse feed, and then he came char- charging me. And the only thing I had was a tree to climb up to they were, they were right by, by the lake so i uh, skinnied up the tree and he hit that tree and he tried crawling up after me and um uh he made sure i was there then and, and he was uh as long as i was there okay he went back in and every time i would try to come down out of the tree 
he would hit it again. And he actually got, got a one, one point, to, and I was having to kick him in the nose. One time he actually got up there and grabbed a hold of my foot and was try, trying to pull, pull me down, down out of the tree, and I was kicking him in the face. So I said, well, I'm, I'm just going to stand here. Let him get, get com- comfortable in, in, the, in the shed. So he went back, and, and uh, there was a cabin um, that was about two miles away. I knew it, it, it had a rifle in it. And so I, I finally, after 20 minutes, I'll never forget, standing on the branches there, and my, my instep just really getting sore. I just couldn't hardly take anymore. So I jumped down. I said, now or never. I jumped down, and, man, I just started running for all it was worth to, the, to this cabin. And I, I looked behind me, and he wasn't following me. So went there. It was a three oh eight. Uh, he only had three shells for it. Uh, came back up and um, stuck my head up over the bank, and yeah, sure enough, he was there eating all, all the food that I <laughs> brought in. But he looked so much smaller, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, maybe he looks smaller because I've got a gun now," you know. So I went ahead and took took care care of it, and and, uh, and then I leaned the rifle up against the uh, the tree, and I started carrying lumber. Made one load of lumber, and came back, got another load of lumber, a tube of six on my shoulder. And when I came up over the lip, all of a sudden, the big bear that had me treed come around the corner, started running at me, and, and uh, I just took the tube of six, threw it in real quick, and it put on the brakes trying to avoid the tube of six, and gave me time to grab the rifle and, get the right and bear. Shoot, shoot it, get the right bear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, it was really like, wow, big man, I've got a gun now, the bear shrinks. You know? <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty funny. Uh, so I, I got to know now, the third one that attacked you. The third one. Um, oh, I thought that was two and three. That, there's no, a, no, there's no. A four, uh, no, one was the innocent bystander. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I was replacing a piling underneath the, uh, underneath the barn, and it was out there. So uh, I had dug out the piling, and I was laying prone on the ground, and I uh, had my head my my shoulders down in the, trying to dig out loose dirt from from the bottom. So I'm just stand, uh, laying, laying there, there, there prone. I must have looked. You know, I wasn't moving or anything, just my shoulders. I'd, and uh, and then the, uh, all of a sudden, next thing I know, something's pulling me back. It's like, whoa, something just grabbed a hold of me, just like I was on a bungee cord, you know, started backing You're up. I've still, got, I, I still got the scars on my shins from it. And uh, <laughs> turned around and... Uh, and it was a bear had hold of my leg. He was another black bear. Up. Yeah, another black bear. And it was, he was backing off. But but you know, uh, in his defense, he just thought it was dead. You know, and uh, <laughs> and I rolled rolled over and um, uh, and then just started kicking at him. And he was a surprise as well. He, he dropped me like a hot potato and took off through 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 the woods. So he lived to tell about it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't. I, it wasn't his fault, you know. I was just supposed to be dead. You know, <laughs> once he found out I was alive, it's like, oh, hey, okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my bad. Yeah, my bad. And then, and then uh, there, there, there was one other time, time with a um, uh, a small grizzly in in sheep camp. I had um, during the spring. I had and and this was one thing that I thought was really cool. Um, during the spring, I had I had broken my leg, and they had to, I had to be medevaced out of the lodge with a chopper and and all that. Um, and so anyway, I go in, they, uh, you know, get the cast, they set the leg and all that. And I ended up going back out, out to the lodge because I need, needed to be there. That was home, you know. Uh, and usually, you know, in the summer, you know, there are bears in, in the yard 
every day just just about and you just get out there you get along with them you know you you don't approach them everybody gets gets along just fine well i got out there and uh first bear that comes out oh look at this a bear you know and uh um i'm out out on the deck he saw me and all of a sudden he started chasing me and ran ran into the lodge uh and closed the door and he 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 hit the door then he got it got off the deck and then I went back out, and again, it, it was like um, he was going to get me, and finally he went away, and that, that happened like uh, two other times that, that summer. I'm like, why are these bears so mad at me all of a sudden? Then I go out to sheep camp, and uh, uh, the hunters are out on a sheep, and I'm, I'm at, at camp. I'm in, uh, um, in the kind of the kitchen area we have set, set up at the base camp, and, and all of a sudden I see this little straggly grizzly Walk around the uh, the outside of the weather port, and I don't have my rifle with me, so we're kind of the same distance from the tent. I run to the tent real quick while he's going over there. He sees me start heading over that way. I start heading over there, grab the gun, start running back into the uh, so I can get some distance between me and him back into the uh, kitchen area. And next thing I know, this uh, little grizzly had had got and and he had reached over and knocked me over with, with, with my paw and I fell on the ground and then rolled over and shot him. And I, I stood up and was like, what is going on? Why are these bears all of a sudden so mad at me? And then the light bulb came on. It's like, ding, ding. You look like a wounded animal. I'm in a cast. I'm hobbling around. Oh, yeah. Nature at its finest. You know, and I thought, yeah, that's what, what what's going on. I'm just hobbling around. They're seeing me as a as a, you know, Easy prey, wounded animal. Yeah, at least that's my my theory on on the whole thing. And it just seemed like it made made sense to me all of a sudden. Because like I'm a, a nice like guy. Why gun- else would they? Yeah, be Yeah, you're like an me? old gunfighter, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know about the old gunfighter. So what? Uh, talk about how you got your how you go off to start business by yourself and and ride off on a horse and go make a homestead and start a lodge and that you're going to guide out of. Uh, well, that's because uh, that's shit that just doesn't happen anymore. Maybe it does. No, nah, well, I, yeah, I don't know if it does or not. Uh, to yeah, me, it, it was just that. yeah. Well, on that note, I was going to ask you: have, Did you ever, through all these years, did you ever meet someone that it was like a peer to you? And you're like, oh, you've kind of done the same thing that I have all these years, um, and became buds with them or knew of them. I actually did one time, and he's uh, um, he's pretty pretty high, high profile. He he's uh, he dead now, but when I was. Uh, Doing my um, um, float float instruction, I I, I took took the float plane and flew out, flew out to meeting once. But yeah, cause you got a pilot. Dick, you got a pilot's license. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick Dick Perenke, You know, I always ever since I was a kid, I, I admired what what he did. His lifestyle, what he did by hand and uh, drug everything in by hand. Of course, he didn't have any horses or anything, but um, he had just gone out to Twin Lakes and built that beautiful cabin out there, lived out there by himself. And that's what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. He was, I guess he was somewhat my inspiration. And I remember when I first got to know him, I, I read the book, One, One Man's Wilderness. Yeah, and I met him. And nicest guy in the world, too. You know, it wasn't like he was some kind of crazed hermit, you know, that you show up, uh, get off my land. He, he was just really a very, very, very nice person. He was kind of older, too, when he did that, right? Like oh, he was he in like his yeah. mid-50s or how something. Do you know he was. I don't know how I found out about him, but I used to, there's like a, 
you can watch like 10 minutes of Alone in the Wilderness. It's like a PBS documentary. Oh, about like him. some old dude washing gravel for his floor and whatnot and makes a cabin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Everybody's dad likes that movie. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I found out about him through that. that yeah. How do you spell his last name, Buck? What's that now? How do you spell his last name? I can't spell it for you. O-E-N-K-E. Buck can't even spell podcast. Isn't there an H in there somewhere? Might be an H in there. Yeah, I was going to ask true. you about it because yeah, like everything that you're saying sounds exactly like similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, he, but... he, uh, when I was a kid, I just really, really enjoyed the. Uh, I mean that 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 book. I just lay it, uh, lay awake. And in, in, in Nome, I had to sleep in a broom closet. That was my my, my room. So it was a little little room, and I'd, I'd read read my book, and that was one of my favorite favorite books I remember. Yeah. So there you are. You ride off into the woods to go set up your own to find your own property right yeah and it was uh that's when jay hammond was our governor and as dan dan knows he's probably one of the best governors alaska's ever had he's got a good reputation well yeah. he sure does he he was the, like the uh, ronald reagan of governors <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, i mean he he was all for the for the people you know he wanted uh uh, and of course, he he was a guide. He was a pilot. You know, his he, nickname's Bushrat, right? Bushrat yeah, governor, yeah, 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 yeah. Bushrat. But he was he was dead set on on um, every Alaskan being able to have the opportunity to uh, have their own piece of Alaska, have their land. So he came up with a land program called um, um, a remote parcel. It was a remote parcel program to where you could go out, you could stake up to. They they had certain designated areas you know that uh that they set aside for just for this program you could stake up to 40 acres um you had to put your four corners in you had to pay for the survey and then um uh, after the state approved the survey you paid what the state considered the fair market value now you got a discount you got a 50 percent discount for being a long 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 time alaskan you got a discount if there wasn't a road to it, you got a discount. If there wasn't power to it, discount, 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 discount. You were saying there's even a discount. I think you were telling me this. Even a discount for whether it was a southerly or northerly exposure. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that, that that was one one of the. And they listed the discounts, you know, that that I was given once I got the uh, uh, title to do the land. I uh, um, I was get gotten a, had a percent taken off of what they considered a fair market value because my cabin faced north and not south. So they, they were doing every, everything. Yeah, they, and you they, had the no power discount, mm, the no road discount, right, the, the long time Alaska discount, right. So yeah, what'd you pay so, for the what'd you pay for the place? So it ended up that uh, uh, I didn't. I thought I had all, a lot more than forty acres with what I staked because I staked the whole south side of my lake, um, but it actually only ended up being like twenty six acres. You, you screwed know? up. Yeah, you were I, allowed I had, forty. You went up twenty six. I was what twenty one years old. I had no idea what forty <laughs> acre. I thought, man, this is more land than I'll ever use. <laughs> so anyway, after uh, and I was shaking that how uh, I'm just a poor trapper out there. I mean, I I don't have any money. So because uh, you went off and found this place on horseback. Yeah, just looking yeah. at a map. Right. Yeah, that was before GPSs and all that. I just lo- loaded up all the horses and. And uh, well, well, let's go that way. It's got to be over here somewhere. So we were snaking our way through the trees, and all of a sudden, I kind of saw an opening in the trees. I said, um, "That's got to be the lake over there." And the lake is actually a glorified beaver pond. It's real, yeah, yeah. real small. It's um, got good grayling in it. Oh man, grayling rainbow, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, 
And so took the horses and started wandering over that way. And I don't remember I came out on the north or the uh, uh, the upper end of the lake. And when we came out of the tree, bright, beautiful, sunny day, there was a, a moose out there. This was the end, end of July. There was a moose out there. He'd be going underwater, and he'd come back, and lily pads are dripping off of his antlers. And it was just one of these things. I was like, this is it. This is where I want to be, you know. And I wanted the southern exposure, so I took the horses and I started riding around the other opposite side of the lake, but it was just all swampy, you know. I mean, you had to, it was like, I don't know what, 40, 50 yards of swamp before you actually got got to some dry land. And it, it was just really disappointing and finally made the whole circle of it. And then I came at to the outlet of the lake and came on to the, uh, the only place where you've got dry land all the way down, down to the lake and that's where I went, went ahead and decided to stake the land. And when I staked it, um, I didn't know, know at the time that it had that nice little bench, you know, where the lodge is now up, up above the lake. I didn't find that out until later. And it just, it just ended up, uh, you know, all the planets aligned and it just kind of made a dream come true. So you stake the whole thing out and send your form off in the mail and you're sweating it, thinking it's going to be a shitload of money. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to come up with thirty, forty? Fifty thousand dollars or whatever, and I opened it up in the envelope, and it ended up being six hundred dollars. <laughs> After this, I got that. Said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I can, I can, I can scrape up six hundred bucks somewhere. That's just a couple Wolverine. So you like start dragging. Cutting logs and dragging them with your horses yep. and build after, a whole damn after cabin. that, of course, I'm I'm walking on cloud nine. I've got my own land, you know. Uh, and um, the actually from where the lodge is now, you can't even you couldn't even see the lake because it was that that he- he- heavily treed. So I started dropping trees and uh, um, pulling them in to uh, start building a lodge and you know just clearing the land and just uh, everything starts snowballing. You know, just start. You know, working on it. Because when you say lodge, it's like it functions as your hunting lodge, but it's it's a cabin. Yeah, it's basically a cabin. And, but and you got but out, in, you got it, outbuildings. In Webster definition, it would be considered a lodge. It's a gathering place. Yeah, well, because yeah. you have you have other cabins yes. you built for guests exactly. over the years and built yeah. a barn and and plus I say it's a lodge, so it's a lodge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel that like people hear lodge and they think that that kind of like fakey, you know. That kind of like fake, faux Western kind of lodge where you where you cut out little caribou moose out of sheet metal and whatnot, yeah, and hang yeah. on everything. Or, yeah, have flamingos, pink flamingos in the yard, that kind of thing. No, it's like yeah, a yeah. it's like a bush cabin, man. Yeah, but very comfortable. But you oh, drink, you pretty, you pretty, yeah, you pretty drink, much have all the comforts of home. It, yeah, you drink rainwater it, and it does have have an out and out. But uh, you know, for you know. Uh, Totally off the grid. Uh, uh, I've got solar power with inverters, you know, so I'm not, not having to run generators to supply everything. Uh, the refrigerator freezer runs off propane. Uh, you know, the stove, of course, is propane. So and you're every- flying it out in your own float plane? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gave up on horses? Uh, yeah, we got rid of the last horses in 95. Because they just died off. Well, yeah. And, you know, they were always just glorified pets anyway. They were worth their weight in gold. In August and September. Other than that, they were just a pain in the ass, you know, and they're just a glorified pet. And yeah, we, I mean, they, they all had their personalities and we, we, you know, really enjoyed them. But you it stood, just got, you stood that, you stood the lodge using horses, though. Oh, yeah. 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 You use them to haul the logs in for the, for the lodge. Yeah. And lift them. 
uh, and lift them. Yeah, and have have rope pull over, uh, you know, one end or one one side of it, and then on the other side have have old poncho, you know, just pull them up, uh, you know, skids from one side to the other. Yeah. How long would the horses last uh, during the, those like were as a working functioning animal, years wise? Uh, well, I had I had heard that I had heard the poncho. Uh, he didn't die till he was like thirty something you know, years old. So like dirt. he he was pretty pretty <laughs> tough. As far as the you know all the other horses, I'm not sure when they died, but when we uh, we got rid of them, they were probably nine ten years old, and they were still you know uh, good good rangy working horses. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did someone come get them, or how'd you get them out of there? Uh, yeah, uh, let me see. Ended up uh, riding them over to the other side of the up through Rainy Pass and up up on the other side there, and then uh, uh, we actually sold some of them to Rainy, Rainy Pass as well. You know, so we some were, of those horses, it wasn't just a one way ticket. Some of those horses made it back out. No, 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 no. It was a one way ticket. They 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 never saw town again. Okay. Uh, so they stayed in the bush. These, yeah, they stayed in the bush. They just went went to the other side of the Alaska Range. You know, rode them over there. How did you learn how to build your cabin? Uh, Watching that old movie about the guy washing gravel. Alone in the wilderness. Oh, I remember getting a book. Uh, who's the guy? Uh, what was his name? Um, Tom Walker. You remember? No. Uh, uh, he had a. Uh, it was in seven. He had a book on uh, you know a how to on you know to notch logs. It was actually a how to book. Mm- well, yeah, well, he I, he kind of wrote, wrote, wrote as a hot too, but but uh, Tom, Tom Walker he he was actually a uh, uh, more noted as an as an outdoor photographer. But he did kind of the same thing. Him and his wife went out and built a built a, a place out in the woods. You know, they just wanted to get get off the grid and live in the woods. And he made a book about it and had a lot of pictures. Fortunately, he had pictures in it. You know, so. So you're scribing and saddle notching and all that kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, and and actually, you know, it, there, there's nothing to it if, if you pay attention to it, it. There's nothing to it. You can make, uh, you know, you you have to make make sure that, that that you cove the inside of your saddle notch, you know, so when you compress them, it, it compresses together real well, and um, you know, you just I, you know, you can do do the full suite of scribe it, which uh, which I didn't do. You know, I'd lay lay the logs on the ground. So I'd have three logs on the ground, take a chainsaw, run in between them to uh, get get them clo- closer to you know to where they were they were matching, and then you'd put one up, and then you'd scribe your uh, saddle notch, and then you'd uh, uh, first uh, rough it out with a with like a sheet sheetrock knife, the line, you know, then uh, you'd use your chisel and, and chisel out the wood, and then use a the chainsaw to gouge, gouge it out, and then um, roll it over and there it is yeah you chicken with moss the old school way or um no no i used uh strips of fiberglass okay yeah yeah i didn't want to do the moss thing <laughs> i can imagine yeah. so did, what... and, and they and actually you know dan they were they were, uh fit you know doing that method of just running the 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 chainsaw bar right right in between when they're they're close together and then then they you marry use, up better like yep, yeah i can yep, picture and that and then use log, log dogs to uh Hold them together and do it again, and, and log you can dogs. Get, yeah, you had to call log dogs. They're they're it's like jaw dogs, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're bars that are hooked hook, hooked at each end. You drive them in, and it holds the logs together. You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. No. When uh, 
when you talk about and, and I don't want to present this as though you disparage your clients because you certainly don't. But when you talk about how hunters are becoming more and more cupcakes all the time, are you doing it because you're comparing it to what you've been through, or are you doing it because you're comparing it to other hunters from the past clients? Yeah, I guess I guess I still still live old school. I know what I went through. I mean, if it would uh, if it was raining and miserable, you know, and and I mean, I'm not. In those days, there wasn't no police or anything. It was either wool or blue jeans, you know. And and me, I'd hunt in blue jeans. I'd just get wet and I'd stay wet and, and just didn't care. And maybe it was just because I don't enjoy that now. But at the time, I didn't didn't, didn't even even think about it. But it just being all wet all the time. Yeah, being all wet all the time, or having to you know slog through the alders, or uh, you know. Uh, Eat your food while water's run, running off your hat, and you, you know none, none of that stuff ever ever bothered me. Um, a lot of the uh, change, change, or uh, hunting has changed a lot, and you know the old, the old tra- tra- traditional hunting ways. And I kind of, for some reason, want to blame it on the since uh, uh, the electronic age has kind of, kind of taken over. It's just things have just become too easy. You know, for for uh, hunters, and you know, um, there's a couple of forces that are wor- working here too. You know, a Explain. lot of the, a lot of them, the uh, these hunts have gotten to where they're so expensive. You know, there's um, some of the guys that uh, they can't afford to go home without having been successful on on their hunt. You know, simply for the fact that they couldn't afford to do another one. They've saved all their life to do do this. And um, and so they they well she, have she, to have she it. you you got some of the more expensive stuff we do yeah sheep sheep and 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 moose moose now it, it, it's grown grown to be uh, one 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 of the high dollar hunts and of course brown bear is too so so guys save up their whole life yeah and so the 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 whole um, you know the the pressures on them when when they come up not to enjoy. Uh, you know, enjoy their hunt, enjoy their their whole surroundings. Go out and 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 just uh, you know, legitimately hunt the animals. Uh, look for them. They need the animals to be there. They can't go home without one. And uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot, a lot of these people they're the uh, you know loggers, farmers, blue blue collar workers. That 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 uh, that kind of money is a lot of money to them. And um, you know, how in the world can they go home and? Face their family, face their wife, face their their friends with them, thinking you spent all that money and you didn't get anything. Yeah, you know, uh, it's so really coming kind of, into it so, with a different set of expectations. Exactly right. Yeah, and then and then there, there there's the other force too that uh, uh, there's the ones that uh, you know that kind of money uh, is just pocket change. You know they uh, they leave uh, you know they. Leave cocktail hour, jump on a plane. Uh, you know, two days later they're up there and they're shooting a, a pre-designated sheep. You know, one that's already been picked out for them, and and then uh, uh, they shoot the sheep. The next day they're right back down to cocktail hour. You know, with with their friends. So if that person doesn't get a sheep, you know, there's the humiliation factor. How am I going to face my friends and tell them that? Uh, 
you know, I didn't get a sheep. So a lot of people that this, you know, the the fun has got out of gone out of the hunting because the pressure is on for them to be be successful. Now, talk, they're, talk they're, about the technology issues. Uh, well, you know the, um, you know, back back in the days when I first started, uh, uh, the plane dropped you off, you waved bye bye, said see you in, in ten, ten days. You know, and now you've got all the you've got the in reaches, you got the satellite phones, you've got the GPSs, you know, EPIRBs, everything. I mean, uh you can't hide anymore. I mean, uh and it's a thing where uh oh we're not seeing much. We need to call somebody to come in and either move us or look around or um you know, it, it it's it's too easy to quit. It uh you know. Because in, in the old days you 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 were there whether you were just there. Yeah, you no were there. And to get it, out of there. If you got, if you were sick, you know, and I've had a hunter recently that uh, after two days he wasn't seeing much, so all of a sudden he was sick and he need, needed out. And uh, uh, just as soon as he got out, it was a miraculous change. He was just fine, you know. Um, but I, I, I guess, guess the point being is that it's just. Um, it's too too easy to give up. Where it you know back back before the electronic age, if you have this this ability to to come out to call somebody to you know come 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 in and get you, you either hunted or you sat there and you pouted. You know, um, so what else are you going to do? And then and and it, it's um, if you if you're not seeing much, you know you um, uh, you just keep on it. I mean, you just don't quit, and eventually it's going to. It, it's gonna gonna happen. So, but but I feel like you're saying. I understand you're saying two different things, but I just want to clarify the two things because on one hand, you feel that it's gotten so expensive. Where a sheep hunt, a doll sheep hunt, if you're if you're coming in, and you need to hire an outfitter, a guide. A doll sheep hunts what? Well over twelve thousand dollars, right? Oh, well over. Uh, we're we're on the lower end of scales of the uh of the price of sheep hunts we're probably about average to, to lower end there's some sheep hunts that uh um these outfitters they they have a, a complete air force you know a super cub so they have to pay for it and they um so their sheep hunts are going to be a lot higher they're they're going to be up around twenty five thirty thousand dollar range whoa yeah 10 days yeah, but but you're and they and they do a lot of pre scouting. Yes, before the season. Uh, yeah, and and you know, and I'm I'm not I'm not going to begrudge those people to them. Uh, I mean, if they if they have that ability, they have the uh, and some some something has to pay for all those airplanes. Something has to pay for all yeah. that, and they're catering to the people that that they will not take no for an answer. You know, they paid for sheep hunt; they're going to get a sheep. And but that, I guess that that's a question I want to that, that I don't really understand because you're saying that with the money people come and they have to get a sheep or else it's humiliating to them or or not only or it's like an ego thing and they got to get a sheep the and, hunt and, and, the hunt's a failure if they haven't uh, yeah there's, but on the other hand you're saying it's too easy to quit yeah so. How how do those things coexist? They they have to get a sheep, but then they don't have what it takes to get the sheep, and then they feel disappointed right. by the experience. Exactly. So yeah. then, when that happens, then they're having to pass the buck to somebody. You know, 
Uh, So, so then it's a, well, I didn't get my sheep because the river was high. So the outfitter shouldn't have had me going in when when the water was high or, uh, I didn't get my sheep because, uh, um, there was no mayonnaise in camp for my sandwich, you know, I mean, and and, and I'm serious, you know, that, I mean, they'll they'll come up with all these ridiculous little reasons why the whole hunt was a failure. And that come come up to all these little things that culminate into one big thing to where, you know, the hunt, hunt was a failure. They, uh, um, uh, and, a lot of this stuff, it, 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 instead of being honest with themselves that they either physically weren't able to do it, or it was you know uh, beyond beyond their physical means to actually do it, even though the outfitter provided them with a good sheep area, uh, provided them with a fair fair chase hunt, um, you know that uh, we had a tough first couple of days. We didn't see any sheep, so obviously. Uh, you know, I've been here two days, and and I'm an expert on the sheep movements now. You know, there are going to be no sheep here. You know, get me out of here. It it it, and it, 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 it's just all them going back and convincing them people that that it uh, they um, didn't get their animal because they themselves um, had quit on it. It was uh, somebody's fault. You know, because and you feel that it's like. That there's something's happened where it's different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean because You're just there, there was people a, coming with different expectations. Yeah, I mean because it was uh, you didn't have the uh, uh, you know and not, another thing when you were in those days when you're go, going out you had to pretty much put everything in your back and you, and you had, had had to go. Uh, a lot of the uh, um, expectation then it, it they 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 went in knowing full well that that they were going to be miserable for 10 10 days but you know uh they were going to hunt where now it's that uh um you know with all the new equipment with all this and that you know that everything's you know perfect people but, feel like they solved the uncomfortable yeah, part yeah and 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 people feel like after having spent this money that they have bought this animal no, it, it just the whole. I don't know. It, it, they, there's too much of this thinking that the, these animals are going to come in and surrender because they they know they paid this much for this hunt. But you still like the business, though. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I, mean, you can't I, even, I still people that want to book you know, people that want to book a hunt with you can't even book a hunt with you. And and that, that that's not not all all hunters either. There there's still the the hunters out there that that that. Yeah, I mean that's what uh, they could be millionaires, but but that's what they're wanting to get away, get get out there and Soft. do do the fair chase. They don't want a plane to fly around and, and spot that. They they want to find that sheep on their own. They want to be the one going around the corner. Hey, nobody help help me find you know them and their guide. And don't nobody help us find this sheep. You know we hunted it on on our own. Give me a bag of granola bar. Let's go out there. Let's hit it. Let's let's uh. Let's sidewash up on the side of the mountain. Let's let let's sleep underneath a tree. Let's sleep under the stars. You know, they're uh, and this day and age, I'd say that's maybe thirty percent of a lot of the hunters you get you know, that are actually. And when they get get their, I'd say probably seventy five percent of the hunters now, once they get their their animal, it's a uh, okay. Get me back to town. I got to get home. 
you know, uh, there's still the, a good proportion of them like what we get, you know, that I don't want to go home. I want, I'm, I'm, I'm on vacation. I want to stay, stay out here. But, but those, those kind of hunters are getting further and further away, you know. In your mind, what makes a good client and what makes a good hunter? A good a good client is is a one that um, is going to go out there and and, uh, and realize that uh, everything is not going to be perfect. There's going to be times when they're going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be times when when it's going going to rain. There's going to be times you know that you know de- dealing with with uh, some some of the elements. Um, you know more more than anything it's a yeah de- dealing that they're going to have to deal with elements that that are going to be uncomfortable um they're going to have to um realize there there's going to be times when uh uh the game isn't going to be in a particular area isn't going to be as plentiful i mean there's no fences around around, around these areas they have to go in there know, knowing that that they're going to have to hunt uh for their animal the animal's not going to come in and surrender so what makes a good hunter in your mind uh one one that uh um is has a positive attitude at every day and um that when when he's out out there they're hunting hunting he's he's happy and just and just have having a great time and not uh um you know not stressed out thinking i've got to have this animal and uh you know when when's it gonna happen? So the you know? content you feel the contentment pays off. Exactly, the yeah. Pays off. Then, you know, you know the hunter that wakes out, walk, walks out of the tent in the morning, and looks around, sees where he's at, sees the mountain, whether it be in you know moose country where you're you're, you're in a, either in a swampy area, but but you know you're outdoors. Uh, there, there's more to the hunt than killing the animal. You know, and uh, do you feel like optimism helps get animals killed? You're speaking Yanni's language if you say yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, optimism helps. I don't. I don't know if it draws the animal in. If it, oh look, there's a happy person. I'm going to go talk to him. You know, I don't think it's anything like like that. No. But you know what I mean. I think you just said it prior. What Yanni means prior to that, you said that like you got to have a good attitude. Yeah, all and, the and, time. and I, I think an attitude. Pro- maybe there is a, just some. Something out there that, uh, you know, that a like person cosmic forces. Yeah, a person is rewarded for going out there and being a, having a positive attitude. Person is rewarded for going out there and just enjoying being in the outdoors and and uh, um, you know and 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 may, maybe it's that attitude too that, that naturally makes them get out there and hit it harder and enjoy it more. Now and, you're speaking Yanni's language because Yanni yeah. believes. That uh, you tell them what tell them what, tell everybody what you believe. <laughs> <laughs> I believe a lot of things. Can you narrow it down a little bit? How you feel that um, that you're not sure what the controlling mechanism is. You're not sure like what forces in the universe control this, but you feel that radiating an optimism. Oh no 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 not at all. I feel that like optimism directly correlates to your success because you go out there and instead of being like 
probably ain't going to see shit today and walking through the woods, <laughs> not, you know, not like not expecting to see something over the next hill, not being ready to see something over the next hill, not being like all constantly thinking like, oh, it's about to happen and actually being ready in the moment and, and like foreseeing it in your head. Just like they say, like, even though you've never done something, if you run that scenario through your head a gazillion times, you're going to perform better when that moment happens. So constantly in your head, being ready and being positive. Because if, yeah, if you wake up in the t- and look out of your tent and go, probably not going to see any sheep today. Well, guess what? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> you know, Steve, it, it, he, he really set a mouthful. I, I mean, I, I think he's on to something because it, it really does feel that way some, 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 sometimes. And, you know, it, it kind of affects everybody in camp, too. You know, but, but when people have that attitude... You know, it it can kind of uh, slough off onto the guys or whatever. It, that you, you just kind of get a little discouraged sometimes. But keeping that positive attitude, it it seems like, yeah, maybe here's where it falls yeah. apart. Yep. Let's say there's a sheep hunter or whatever. There's a there's a squirrel hunter, okay? And he's like so positive and so optimistic that he's like, I'm not even leaving the tent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I know that if I sit right here, looking out the door of this tent, a sheep will come up here. And then you're just a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you may laugh, but that—that's probably actually happened, and it, it's happened with us a few times where we've gotten lucky. It doesn't happen all the time, but oh, everybody's remember. got those stories. Oh, oh, I know. Yeah, but they're so far and few, few, yeah. few between. <laughs> but you remember stories. But Giannis used to when Giannis was guiding. He would have to give. He would give pep talks to try to main. He took it upon himself to maintain the client to 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 feed the client the type of optimism that he felt is necessary to articulate it for him. Yeah, did it work? I thought so. Yeah, I had a pretty. He good used track to do record. little pep talks for me. Yeah. <laughs> but what? for some reason, quit. <laughs> Don't do crew R- pep R- talks. Ran now. out of pep. Yeah. You still got a little pep. Yeah. yeah. You you'd be lost without Giannis. He keeps. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Yeah. No. He, quits, he, I quit. He he reigns you in every now and then. I bet. Yeah. No. I, I, if not, if you if you want if he got out of the biz, I'm getting out of the biz. <laughs> Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save 
terms and conditions apply. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. You already got a job, Buck. I'd let you. You're the only, you're the only qualified candidate. I got a job? Meaning what? Hidden Alaska Outfitters. Yeah. So let's say someone wants to come hunt with you. They're kind of shit out of luck, right? Unless they want to wait till 2030 or whatever it is. Oh, no. No, we got uh, we, we still got openings, you know, here and there. We, uh, we usually pretty much stay booked up on the average, you know, you know for, for a couple of years in advance. I mean, we've got hunters that right now that are booked out into uh, 2022. How do they know what they want to be doing in 2022? I don't know. Well, and, and that's actually what I asked this guy. He said, uh, and this was like two years ago when he booked it. <laughs> You know, like, like, we can we can be dead by then, you know. And of course, you have to have, you need to put a deposit down to hold, hold a hunt. You know? So and, he's like, in five years or four years, I would like to go sheep hunt. Yeah, I mean, I was Here's really my confused. Deposit. Yeah, I said, why why are you doing this now? And he said, well, I just want to lock in the price now. And you know, it, it it's a good thought. Maybe too. he's retiring or something. But, no. That, oh, so you honor that if he books it now? Yes. Even in twenty twenty two, he gets right. to pay the twenty eighteen price. For, right. Yeah. If he books in two thousand eighteen for the year twenty twenty two, I'm going to honor that too. But he could be divorced or married. I don't know what oh, he's I got know. going on. There's a hundred yeah. things that could happen. Yeah. What's, so, what's, 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 a hundred things that could happen to me too. You know. Just, 
what's mostly causing the these big increases in the prices? Is it just gas and I think infl- I think it's just general be- inflation? Because, because they can. I mean, people pay them, you know, and uh, you know, just uh, uh, and then you know I I do do the shows and and uh, yeah, there's a lot of this. God, I can't believe how much these hunts cost now. You know, then they uh, they keep going up and say. Yeah, I know, and and it just and if you don't keep up, you know, keep with the uh, uh, the going trend, you know, that going price, and then uh, there's something wrong with you as an outfitter, and that uh, why aren't you charging as much? You know, something, something must be wrong with you. With if it's yeah, not. exactly. Yeah, you don't. No one wants some bargain basement. Yeah, huh? so it's not nothing. I'm I'm greedy. I'm just trying trying to stay with it. And I've had other outfitters outfitters come up and say, "Man, you need to rate rate your prices," because they see that, and of course, they're. Uh, you know, they don't want a quality outfitter giving away a cheaper hunt. Have you, um, I feel like you told me this. You've kind of lost your, uh, you've lost your taste for hunting personally. Yeah, not so much like the taste. Like, you, like, probably, you like being with, you like guiding more than you like hunting now. I just kind of lost, you know, the enthusiasm. You do, uh, not the, yeah, the enthusiasm, I guess, because I, been I've hunted so much and and just have taken everything and gone through the whole the whole thing my myself personally going on a personal hunt it just doesn't uh um thrill me as much as it used to just just like trapping too I trapped for you know years and years and years and and loved it and that's not that I but now it you know been there done that that doesn't really hold that much appeal for me anymore there's a lot of times at the end of a hunt i'll have have a client say hey you need to come down after the hunting season and come whitetail hunting with us and you know sitting in a um sitting in a tree stand at you know 20 degrees in the midwest looking out over a cornfield man last thing i want to do is uh you know after after hunting for a full season go hunting again i'm gonna go lay on a beach in hawaii or something yeah yeah. Well, at what age did that start to fade? The enthusiasms fade. I don't know. I, I guess I. Uh, I don't know. I guess I really first noticed it probably um, six, seven, eight years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not that 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 I I if I go out and do it, I I I enjoy it, and and may, maybe it's because too that. Uh, uh, I live that lifestyle every day. I've got I've got it any any day day of the week I want. So maybe it's just yep. just kind of a thing where um, I'm not. Uh, it's not something I'm never going to be able to do do again. You know, and and, and there, there there's times I'll get up just like we were ta- talking about about moose. I still get just the biggest thrill about going out and calling in moose. I mean, yeah. Well, you're that, all excited that, about fun. you're all excited about our hunt right now. Oh, absolutely, I am. Yeah. You act about other people's hunts the way people act about their own hunts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I know what you're going to be seeing when you get out there. I know where you're going to be, the country you're going to be in, and you, me knowing you the way I do, it, it's just it, it's right up your alley. You're just gonna you're just gonna be um, uh, pleasantly surprised what you're going to see out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that the 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 country, the beauty, the rut, ruggedness. You know of it of the whole thing. So, how much longer do you think you'll run your business for? Um, 
probably till I die. I mean, the only really? way I the only way I can afford to retire is if I die. You know, so. Yeah, but how much money are you making off those birch bowls you make? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making much because I give them away to people like you. I know. And Giannis. <laughs> oh, we feel guilty about it. And we made up a deal today. We made up a little wager by which we would determine which of us got first picks out of the two bowls. But the uh, wager, I thought the, you already picked out the one you want. No, I know the one I want, but I haven't picked it yet. And then, uh, you know, I caused, recently I caused great physical harm to Giannis. And um, so that's weighing on my mind. But then we made this side wager by which we would determine who gets which bowl. And the wager kind of fell apart, so we're going to keep struggling with it. Uh, well, yeah, but Buck uh, cuts burls off old-growth birch and hollows it out into beautiful bowls. Do you ever think about selling them online direct instead of selling them to tourist yeah. shops? I've actually, uh, yeah, wrote, really thought, thought about doing my own website with it. And, uh, Dude, uh, it'd be know, so much better. Like Here's the thing. When you take the, you take that beautiful bowl that you made up at your lodge, okay, and you bring it to some tourist shop, and some hoser comes off a cruise ship and buys it, he don't know you, he don't know the story behind it. No, you're right. He does it, then he dies, and this kid brings it down to Goodwill. If you had it, that you had a place where you sold them for more money. I'll sell the damn things for you. Where it was like, here's what the guy, here's the story of the guy that made this, and here's how he goes about it. And this is a Buck Bolden damn bowl. It'd be way better. Because yeah. that way it wouldn't be falling into the hands of the undeserving. You're, you're probably right there. It wouldn't there. be as likely to fall into the hands of the undeserving. One of my guides that has been guiding with me, he'd been with me for. Uh, this would have been his twenty third year. Wow. He makes knives now, and um, each he's knife. Euro- he's the European, right? Uh, uh, yeah, from Sweden. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, every knife he sells, there's a little biography with it that that he goes and put puts with, with it, and and tells a little bit how how it happened. You know his his uh, you know background on making knives and everything, and how the knives came to be. And so, yeah, I, I think I think I you're know, right. I don't know that. I don't really know if that's what, yeah, something. But it is. I because mean, I don't yeah, know that people are like, they, I don't it, think they're picturing how the bowl came into existence. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, isn't there the whole backstory of the, like the birch in your area happen to have more of these Well, they're, they're, they're old growth. Yeah. Basically, uh, a burl is just a fungus, you know, and right. so there'll be, uh, so the you'll find pockets of them. The, Burl as a reaction to the fungus. To the fungus, right? Yeah, and and they're actually pr- pretty rare. But but uh, um, you know when you when you find a birch that's going to have a burl on it, stay. It's just like hunting mushrooms or something. You know, stay right there and look around at the other birds because there's going to be probably other birds that have have them. You know, you'd be in a little pocket body. of burls. Yeah, yeah, because that, that 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 fungus will will have affected those, those trees in that in that area. You know. What what kind of markup do these cruise ship tourist shops? What, what are they? What what, the, what what kind of markup do they put on your birch bowls? I have no idea. I just know that it's just like a. Um, they get thirty nine percent. Where they come up with the figure thirty nine percent? I don't know. Three nine. But that's what. Yeah, that's where they. Uh, that's their they, markup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sell the bowls. Do you sell them direct? But it doesn't. There was one time that I uh, uh, this. Um, Guy to make 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 some knives. I tell you about he, 
Uh, he talked me into getting a booth at the Saturday market there. And I, I, I just finished 30 bowls. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And I'm thinking I'm going to have, have to go there and just sit there and, and uh, you know, maybe one or two bowls or something. But went there and, and uh, sold like 25 of those bowls just in one day, just, <laughs> just like that. A few hundred bucks a piece. And some of them were, yeah. But, I mean, they, they, they went just like, I, I was amazed at the at the reaction of it, but see that's but then, more acceptable to me to do it that yeah, way. Yeah, and some guy and, going and, off and, a cruise and, ship, and man. it was it was fun too. And and but um, you know I've never since that time been been able to get ahead enough with that 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 much of an inventory. How many can you make in a year? Yeah. I mean, if I dedicated myself to uh, right now, I, I should say, how many do you make in a year? Um, Back before the fire, I've, I've been recently consumed with the last few few years and and uh, doing some rebuilding out the lodge after the fire. But uh, um, I could probably, if I dedicated to uh, uh, just going full time on making the bowls, I'd probably uh, at different stages uh, about a hundred hundred and fifty in a, in a summer probably I could do. If so, if you had to give up moose hunting or give up carving birch bowls. Which would you pick? Give up moose hunting or give up birch bowls? Yeah. Well, I don't understand why I would have to give one of the, one of the other of them up. But. <laughs> God came down and put a gun to your head. Man. Yeah, I just said, okay, yeah. Damned if you do or damned if you don't. Huh? Yeah. Uh, huh. <laughs> I, I, I guess you don't I like would, that kind of question? I guess I would just have to give up the... Uh, well, yeah, because it just doesn't make any sense to me. I could, I could, <laughs> I could shoot a moose and come back and make a birch bowl the same day. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough, man. Yeah, yeah. That's fair enough to call the question to, to yeah. question the question. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I suppose I would give up the, uh, the the moose hunting. What? I'm sorry. I, I, I just really enjoy make, making those those bowls. I'm, they're beautiful bowls, man. Oh, they're yeah. works of art. I've cool. seen him crap. And I like They're it because cool, I look man. at it and I think about, you know, I look at it and think about you, you know, and the stories you told me and kind of like your place and, hmm. you know, big pile of burls you got laying oh, over yeah, which you way. saw them too, didn't yeah. you? When you were out there, you saw them. Tell you what, do you, I don't know if you remember this. First time I went out to your place, there was a moose shed antler laying right, basically right where you park your plane. Yeah, up on the, the and then and then when you had the fire, that antler got all burned up. It did, yeah, it did. That that is displayed that burnt, charred moose antler, charred moose antler, which stank to high heaven. Danny, you remember this? <laughs> yeah, when I brought it out, but eventually dried out in Danny's wood shop. Yeah, that is displayed in a very prominent place in my home. Like where? Well. The one piece of heirloom sort of furniture that my wife has from her family is this, I can't remember what you call it, man, a, a armoire. Yeah. It's not a word I use lightly. An armoire. It's up on top of that. And I've had people try to buy it from me. But why? Because I mean, it's, it's a crazy a burned up, up giant moose antler, man. You look at it and you're like, I haven't seen one of those before. Plus it's a crazy antler. And the way it's got that weird 
extra oh, tine yeah. Yeah, holds that, that, it up. That drop tine, yeah. And so it's like a it's like a flame itself because that drop tine holds it up so the the paddle the paddle reaches up to the sky but it flames out in the shape of a flame. Yeah. And it's flame scarred and burnt and people come in and I just had someone try to buy it off me. Wow, for why? I mean, during why, the process what, of selling during the process of selling my house. What was the appeal of that thing to him then? Because it's crazy looking. Yeah. Huh. It's beautiful. Hmm. It's like, uh, it's found art, man. You don't know what you gave up. And well, I, I want it back now. <laughs> I was going to say, you might as well yeah. throw all your sheds into another building that you light it on yeah. fire. Yeah. Oh, and man, that was so sad when, that, when, when the barn went up because that, uh, that, the whole, uh, uh, Upper barn, the, the loft was uh, just stacked with years of uh, sheds that I'd found. You know, there, was, there was a whole pile of them up in there. Valuable. It was sad. I guess, I don't know from what they are, but, but to me, it, it was more and more sentimental. Thing. All these years of these sheds, and now they're gone. And then I remember I had just, uh, there was 113 of the birch poles that I had back in the barn. Done? That, that I would, yeah, they were almost done. I, I just had, had to finish and just, uh, finish sanding on them. All up in flames. Man. Yeah. Hey, Danny, talk about the great antler theft that you suffered. Yeah, I uh, I had been accumulating both shed and shot moose antlers, and I had... Uh, quite a stack of them. <laughs> quite a stack of them, yeah. My, my, my friends call it the pile of shame. <laughs> the and, pile of shame. And uh, <laughs> when I moved over to this house, they yeah they took up residence like under the eve of my workshop out he in the He used to wrap them around a spruce tree. Yeah, and he had a stack, you know, where, way where'd up you, the damn tree. Where'd you find them all? I mean, just, just in your travels out there. Out yeah, there, just traveling for work and traveling yeah. for hunting trips, and you know, huh. and a lot of them were just moose I'd shot or been people with caribou people been Yeah, it's caribou antlers, and you name it, just a great big pile of antlers out there. Somebody you know? just walked in and stole them all. Yeah, somebody came over the fence from the park out back, and you know, there's a market for them now for the like the dog chew trade right, you know yeah. and it's been a hot ticket for theft around anchorage man and i a friend of mine that lives right in the neighborhood here he had somebody came home from work one day as a guy on a ladder trying to take him off the side of his garage <laughs> Damn, then you, oh, hardcore jeff he got ripped off that, that's what i'm talking about well, you better yeah. put a chain around that one you got outside your door up there then I, oh every time i come home i check and make sure it's still there, there yeah. yeah i love that i love those antlers. Hang, that's, a, hang grenade that's a nice rack rig a hand grenade okay. up that Come the, 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 the house and the pin to the Man. <laughs> yeah but the, yeah they were i i uh what well, yeah one morning i i uh was just knocking around in the yard and something didn't feel right look the whole pile <laughs> is just gone <laughs> just gone how many how many would here. you estimate were in there oh maybe like a six or eight sheds and then yeah. probably a, no more than that man you know including caribou antlers probably maybe a couple dozen sheds and then uh Jeez. probably eight or ten just you know, like sets of sh- sh- antlers together on a skull plate mm-hmm. that were shot. You know, just gone, just gone. Yeah, some therapy dog somewhere chewing on your stolen <laughs> antlers. <man. laughs> yeah, so, and then, and then uh, yeah, hardcore Jeffy got interviewed for uh, like an APRN story <laughs> that ran locally here on the radio about stolen moose antlers, and that got picked up nationally. And we he packed was, that bull out, and he was yeah, yeah. We helped pack that bull out that got stolen off his garage. And then, uh, yeah, and then he told that story about his buddy who got all the antlers stole out of his backyard, and that was me. So that, that, kind of famous. that story made the rounds, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So watch, watch your moose antlers, man. What do they? Well, what, what do they? Uh, are these people take what? What, what you said? Dog chews? Are, are they? Are they? Because some of them are pretty popular for carving too, right? I mean, yeah, people. people carve that could be the same market. I don't know. Yeah, I think that the market. Well, well, and, and, and the, also, the chandelier shit. The shant like antler chandeliers became fashionable enough where they started like casting antlers, right. fake antlers, but. Antler chandeliers started to establish a market, and then there's the Asian aphrodisiac thing too. That's, I mean, that's ground up felt, but that's like, like a that's and they raise in New Zealand, they raise red deer to harvest velvet. Ant, yeah, velvet. When I was li- living in Nome, every summer uh, they they'd come come up there and they. Uh, Bring bring the rain reindeer herds in and have big old loppers and and take take their antlers off and there'd be uh, uh, a lot of the uh, Asians stand stand around buying them. Yeah, I mean they're, they're standing there buying them. Isn't it, and then the chew toy, they just take they they buy elk antlers and chop them up in like three four inch pieces and they kind of sand the edges off. Yep. Dudes walk in and yeah, and, and then, you up. know it's like each little chunk, each little chunk. Seven, eight, nine dollars. I mean, it probably depends where you are. This friend, friend of mine, that sells the uh, uh, that make, makes the knives every uh, every year. Him and his daughter go up there uh, early summer. I think I, I guess it's early summer. Yeah, early summer uh, up off the uh, Hall Road. They go in there and they and they come back with truckload a, a big truck truckload of uh, shed caribou antlers. Okay, you know, and uh, that's what he does. He just he has a bandsaw. He just. Uh, Boxes and boxes of these little cut up. Things. What in the world do you do with these? And and he has these little packages, little dog treats. Wow, that's a hard working dog that can get through a caribou antler. Oh, man. I know it's it. A way different antler. I know it. And and I was like, wow, where'd you come up with that idea? He said it's the going trend. You know, that's what the. And I think too. I think it's like, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I think it's as. Those markets emerged and they became a dollar value. This is my own personal theory. As the markets emerged, the chew toy, the chandelier market, etc., and there started to be a dollar value placed on antlers, I think it also drove interest in recreational antler pickers who just pick them for their own collections. And I brought this up before, the same way like Morels. I think that. With a market for morels, where morels are like worth you know X dollars or twenty five dollars right. a pound, thirty dollars a pound, up, uh, yeah, on up, and you know dried mushroom prices, I think people are like, oh wow, I'd like to go find some of those and eat them if they're that valuable. Valuable, exactly. Yeah. That. And, and so it's like it's just kind of funny the way that the antler, yeah. like antler collecting, in our lifetimes has become yes. just. Be, to become this like obsessive thing because it used to just just be a shed, shed antler now now all of a being, sudden there's this attention that, that's drawn to them and they're and they're considered a uh, uh a valuable thing to go after yeah once upon a time having. people walked past indian arrowheads and didn't stoop over to pick oh, them i up. know yeah yeah you just looked at it like a beer can laying there yeah dan you got any last things you want to ask buck comments questions no, it's been it's been an interesting conversation. I am uh, I am uh, very excited to get out in the Alaska range and poke around your home turf a little bit. Yeah, I call I call flight service. So look, looks like we're going to have a good day for flying tomorrow. So oh. we're actually going to be able to get out. Good to hear. This is not yeah. how I envisioned spending my day. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, it, it, it's actually a good thing though. I mean that it's going to be this way that 
you're stuck here and not stuck out there, you know, on, on the airstrip, just sitting there waiting for the, you know, oh, yeah. to get in. Yeah. yeah, we did a little group Mike, exercise Mike today. Little... We had a nice dinner. The yeah. ping pong tournament. Ping pong tournament. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun. Dirt, you got any uh, final thoughts? It might be too long to get into, but I'm curious <laughs> with the rebuild, how uh, has there been some nostalgia with rebuilding your cabin, you know, decades after you did the, the initial build? Or, you know what I mean, just the, the, has there been some positive out of that experience after the fire? Oh, uh, Actually, yeah. I mean, I was, um, I was actually, actually able to build something to improve on probably what, you know, some of the drawbacks I saw of what I had before. I was able to put something up and, and uh, you know, improve on, on what, what, what was there. But, um I'd still, I'd still much rather have have the old barn there and have have the time that I've had to invest into rebuilding. I was, I was just, I was perfectly satisfied with what, yeah. what was there. But, um, but it, it's a. Uh, uh, at first, it was overwhelming trying to start, you know, do, doing a rebuild. It's like, man, where do I start? And then now that I'm seeing the end of it too, it, it, uh, uh, it's kind of. Um, rewarding and satisfying, knowing it's almost done. It's almost, you know, yeah. it's almost back to the way it was. Yeah. But man, you got you lost all the stuff that it was filled with too. Oh, snow yeah. machines. There were so many, so many people, and they're right, 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 rightly so. You know, after the fire, they said, "Well, at least you didn't lose the lodge." But um, the real value of the place wasn't the lodge and what's in it, the real value of the place was everything that was in the barn and, and the shed. I mean, so if, if you're talking monetary, if the lodge would have gone up, it had just been uh, a bunch of food and a bunch of dead animals on the wall that would have burned up, you know. But uh, um, but the barn and all the snow machines, the four-wheelers, the airplane stuff, um, I mean, just on and on. And I, I remember the after the fire, we're, we're uh, sitting out there on the porch of the lodge, just exhausted. We've, we've been fighting it all night. And uh, um thought, man, we got, I, I needed something and I needed the, the uh, chainsaw. I remembered, oh, I'm going to go grab the chainsaw, jumping up out of the chair and running back to the barn. And I was oh, wow, there is no barn. There is no chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, and then uh, it, it was funny. I needed, uh, uh, I needed a screwdriver. Something simple, a screwdriver. Everybody has a screwdriver like laying around. I needed a screwdriver. I didn't have a screwdriver to, to just, just a simple little thing you know, that I needed right right then. Anyway, you know, just the stuff that you're, you're used to having on hand, like yeah. a hammer and all. I had no hammer. I had no nothing, you know. I had a fork that I had to use to try and, you know, but anyway, that's all. Uh, you know, thank you know, thank, thank God had uh, you know friends, family, and and uh, you know that that helped with with the re- rebuild too. You know, there are a lot of generous people out there that that donated time and and uh, money. You know, family they they got together a benefit uh, to help raise money to to rebuild, and uh, I'll I'll never forget that. I mean that. Uh, that was really something how everybody banded together to help me rebuild. Yeah. Pounder. 
You're a cool dude, Buck. <laughs> I, I like it. I like your new hat. Dude, I like that hat. I wish you'd let me trade you something for it. No. Uh, genuine cool hidden Alaska outfit yeah. baseball cap. I, like I just I, I just want to see if see if there's any any truth to all this resiliency I hear about you. No, it's all. You. Dude, he's yeah. got a tremendous amount of resilience, man. You think we'd call him Ridge Pounder if he didn't? <laughs> uh, no, yeah. we'd call him Chris Gill. Yeah, well, there you go. Just bring over Chris Gill. Uh, <laughs> Yanni? What's the longest you ever stayed out there without without going back to town? It would, uh, about six months. It was, I remember, it was, uh, like, I think it was about 70, 76 or 78, maybe even 75. Uh, it's when Saint the, the, the volcano... Uh, St. Augustine blew. St. Augustine you know, the, or Mount St. Helens? No, no, no. It was Augustine because there was all this ash in the air. That's like some, know, is that a well-known volcano? Cook Inlet, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were. Uh, uh, I was actually scheduled to come out in December after being in there trapping. Then that when the volcano blew, all this ash was in the air. Planes couldn't fly. You know, it, it was pr- pretty thick, and got stuck out there until. February, so it would have been September through February, I guess. Yeah. By your lonesome. Like that. Yeah. I would I'm per- perfectly uh happy. I, I mean, I didn't have any I didn't have any uh, you know, uh sweethearts in town that I was missing or anything. I was out there with the dogs and the horses and just happy with uh you know, my everyday uh Meat diet, it's just fine, <laughs> <No. laughs> man. One of the, you know, one of the crazy, craziest things that I'll always remember that that still to this day I just picture it. Um, after that time, after being out there for so long, when you're out in the woods, you see no right angles. You see everything is symmetrical. There's you know curves, you know com- compound. There, there, there's nothing you ever see that's naturally a complete right angle. You know, and I remember. Jumping the plane and after living out there, jumping in a plane, all of a sudden we fly into Anchorage. I'm flying over Anchorage, looking down, and wow, everything's right angles. <laughs> square buildings laid square out on this, square everything. grids. It yeah. just looks so unnatural. It's really surreal. It, it, it just really felt good weird. Point, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and, and I'll, I'll never ever forget thinking, wow, this is. It just looked like it looked like a science fiction movie or something. Yeah, and then it just dawned you just come from a world where everything's round. Every, you know, there's uh, everything has, has a curve that, and I kept trying to think, what what have I seen out there that is a natural right angle, and I couldn't come up with anything. You know, and in, in, in nature, that's a perfect right angle, like, yeah. like 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 the streets and trails. You know, yeah, the Mesoamericans they like to. They like some hard edges, you know, but even like most of uh, most of Native American groups, all the structures they lived in, round yeah, structures, yeah, round, oval yeah. structures, no corners. Yeah. You couldn't lean anything in a corner. But can 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 you think of anything natural that that that's in nature that that, that has a uh, a natural complete right angle? My tooth. <laughs> Hmm. Just that tree branch that Danny was standing on when he shot that deer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Danny's tree. No, you're right though. Yeah, and 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 it I, funny, just, it's funny that we stumbled that like culturally, 
we hit on this idea that we really like a corner. Yeah. But I imagine it comes from, it's not that we really like a corner. I <laughs> imagine practical. it just comes from, yeah, it just comes from a structural, right? Structurally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably, I guess. I don't know, but it, it, it just uh, it, it it just hit hit me just really spooky. For and sure, weird. I, I, what I was you're not saying. expecting to, to see that. I'm just hey, going to town, and, and then all of a sudden, wow, this is like so weird. Everything <laughs> it's just a checkerboard. I know? went to a lecture one time by a. This is my concluding thought. You good on concluders, Yanni? Yeah. Um, I went to a lecture one time by a guy who'd done these. Uh, huge canoe expeditions you know like he paddled the whole north shore of lake superior and did all these other crazy canoe trips and he's saying that he was asking the audience he's like you know when you go out in the woods for a week how everything kind of slows down right and your senses pick up and you feel that your hearing kind of either improves or becomes more in tune and you smell things you didn't smell. And there's sort of the, you keep, you kind of fall into this slower, more contemplative, deliberate rhythm. Yeah. Over the course of a week. And he was saying, uh, he says, you know, when you're out for six months, it still keeps happening at that same pace. Yeah. Like, he hadn't found the end of it yet. The end of it, right. Which is, uh, you know, something I think most people aren't going to experience. No, probably not. To see it go, to see that quietness go that long. Right. For me, um, it was the terrorist attacks. The 9-11 attacks. 9-11 stuff, yeah. Changed, um, really changed things for me about being gone on longer trips because you got this sense we one time went to where uh, to where you didn't it, it, that it something you, was happening yeah and you didn't want to be gone longer on the just trips, that it, it became like i became more aware of the fact that you might have stepped out but the but the world moved still yeah we went on a lot we went on a float trip for deer one time when they were trying to settle the uh, gore George the Gore the Gore Bush election, and we we they didn't know we actually put off departure waiting to see how the election was going to go, so well we better go anyway. Um, went on a float trip, got back. They still hadn't figured it out yet, you know. And then you had, and then the terror attacks, uh, and then it became like being. I just remember like being away was just different different because you're worried about that something had happened that some yeah. horrible thing had happened and and you weren't in tune to it and then that kind of segued for me into having kids and then when you have kids and you're gone on long trips there's always this this nagging sense that like something would happen right you know that, like something would go wrong and, and you wouldn't be there or or whatever that that, that, that like you that became harder to to divorce yourself from this sort of societal, cultural, global momentum that was going on. And now it is, man. It's it's like, it's not difficult to feel at peace. There is a peacefulness still, but it's hard to, for me, it's hard to just get the sense that like everything stopped and I'm just here now. Like I have this like thing in my head that, 
something could be happening, something horrible could be happening. Happening, right, yeah. And you have no control over it either. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's just a thing that, like, you know, it's part of the falling from grace, right? That I think about. Especially with kids, man. The Like, I found that um, there's a huge element of... Uh, there's a huge element of guilt that goes into the, the, having kids entails like a level of guilt that becomes Why? uncomfortable. Just self-imposed. It's just I, I think that I'm just governed by it in a way, you know, governed by it in a way huh. with kids, right? That like I don't know. It's not nice. But it is because it's like, I guess that's what keeps you on track. That's what keeps me on track. Different people have different things that keep them on track. And it could be, and I've, t- I've talked about this before, I think it, like, it could be that I'm not using the right word. That, what, uh, that, what, that I'm like, oh, it's guilt, but maybe it's just um, commitment to your obligations. And I just think that I'm just articulating it wrong. Maybe it's just like a sense of duty. Like you could, yeah. you could make it sound better than, than just like, like this vague sense of guilt. Yeah, sense of duty, sense of obligation. So being gone is different now. Right. And I'm not talking six months shit either. I'm talking quickies. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You got any last thoughts you'd like to add, Mark? No. I think uh, I think I'm about ready to ready to hit the rack and get up and get to get everybody out into the woods. I think. Sounds good to me. All right, man. Well, thank you for sitting down with us yeah. for so long. I know that you Thanks don't. Thanks for having uh, me. Had a, I've had a blast with you guys just in the last, last two, two days I've, I've hung out with you. Oh, you know, well, so thanks, man. Great dinner last night and then uh, and then this thing tonight, first time. Yeah, you first, had a little, captain, uh, little captain's you. platter, a little Danny Ronella captain's platter <laughs> last night. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> Halibut, <laughs> salmon, hooligan, yeah. shrimp. It was everything. I, I sent up. No, no hush puppies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that. Uh, what were the, the those were the hooligan that you had deep fried, right? The, yeah, yeah. The, oh, like man, those? they were oh, they were delicious, especially when they're uh, fresh out of there and the tails were crispy. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Hey, the trick the trick is uh, baking those for a while after you deep fry them. And is cri- that is that what you did then? Or yeah, a lot of the grease comes out and they crisp yeah. up real nice like that, man. But yeah, we eat a lot of them like that. My kids especially just oh, love man, them. I could have sat there all day. Oil? You ever use that oil for anything? <laughs> no, no, is no. it pretty rank oil? That's no, probably fine. Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they were the star of the show. Really? Yeah, they're, they they're were crowd pleaser, man. Yeah. And what what were the fish, you what know? were the longer ones then? Because you had did, didn't you? Were those uh, candlefish? Yeah, yeah, same they, thing. Yeah, yeah, those were all hooligan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, one man. was just smoked and one was fried, right? That's 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 what the difference. Yeah, was, yeah. Right? Some yeah. were smoked and some were yeah. fried. Yeah, and the smoked like, ones had their heads on, so mm-hmm, they were yeah. they were bigger fish that way. Well, the 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 fried ones they they had the heads on them too, didn't they? Uh, no, Giannis, Giannis, he was looking for a chore, and I told him to head and gut the, all the ones we were frying. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, man. man. And, then, and then the uh, the, the king salmon chunks, and then I think you had halibut chunks there, yeah. too, didn't you? Yeah. Like. I mean, it was just a, a real, uh, you know, smorgasbord of bunch of, uh, ocean, bunch of ocean fish. fish. Yeah. Cap's yeah. yeah. <laughs> platter, man. Yeah. Did, hey, if you want what, a hooligan dipping next uh, May, get in touch, man. We'll go out. I, I would love to, you know, after having that and that last, I'd, I'd, I'd already seen everybody, you know, gathered around the creek down there doing it. Then, you know, what's the, what's up with this? What's what's the big oh, deal with yeah, this? Yeah, you're, the only, you're the only why. white guy down there, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know what he does too? He, he takes those hooligans down 
he takes those hooligans down. Well, we were catching burbot on the hooligans through the ice up in the interior. Yeah. And then he takes the hooligans down and catches uh, uh, halibut. Halibut. Oh yeah. Salmon. yeah. Halibut and salmon on hooligans. Yeah. It, so so it, it's uh there there's good bait as herring then. They're real oily like Ooh, herring, burnt, so they yeah. put out a good scent, you know. But yeah. the, the, the thing herring have up on them, those herring have that real shiny flash to right. them, you know. And the right. they're they're just like a, yeah, their shape's just different. It's more like a herring's kind of a more usable shape. Yeah, yeah. For mooching and, and whatnot. And, they're, yeah. and they got that, that real nice sheen, you know, that catches the When you see that herring spinning, like when you're just mooching. Looks it's good just good to eat, man. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Man, a, lot, a lot of times I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, we'd be hooking up herring on there, and I'd be looking around at would anybody see if I <laughs> ate one of these because oh, man, man I wanted to eat the bait yeah, my, uh, my brother he, he spends our other brother spends a lot of time down in the Bahamas fishing and he heard a story about he was talking to this guy down there that does a little guiding and he goes out with some he's talking about taking some Italians out fishing and pulls out some squid for yeah. bait and those Italians like would not bait a hook with that squid why because they eat it. Oh. They're like, you're not going to put it, that it, down. They're just giving me a squid. Wasting food, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just eat that. that squid and go Let's home. Let's just go home and eat that. <laughs> yeah, no, another one is oc- octopus, too. Octopus makes make, make good bait, but, man, they are sure sure good, you know, cooked oh, up, man, too. I yeah. really like octopus. You know, I don't know if we've ever... We used to put octopus, chunks of octopus arm on halibut hooks. I can't think yeah, of I haven't seen anyone do that in a long time, yeah. yeah. The nice thing about it is that uh, the... Octopus will stay on the oh, hook pretty easy too. Yeah, you know that's the thing about it. Yeah, we use a lot of salmon fins too, man. They got some stand. You get mm-hmm. that through the skin and through the sort of the fin rays, and they got right. real staying yeah, power. Yeah, they'll stay on. You can put a herring on a halibut hook, and then tip it with a salmon fin, where you run it through that cartilage, huh. and it's basically like a retainer. Holds your yeah, holds it on. Where'd you come up with that idea? Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I can't claim just. It's not a it, it's not a Ranella uh, original. Sure, I think it's something that's been thought of thousands Before. of times. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. All right, man. Good night. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.